Hi everybody, Rob from the Hooked On podcast, How To Be Great here. Look, we enjoy doing what we do, for the love of it, it's wrestling, enjoy it, remember? But if you do feel like dropping us a few quid to help us out, be our guest. We don't expect it, but we will appreciate it. Thanks ever so much for your support. Don't forget, it's wrestling, enjoy it. Welcome to the Hooked On Podcast, and I am glad to say normal order has been restored. None of this Hooked On shake-up last week that meant Paul Benson erroneously took over as the host of this show. I am back, I'm in situ, I'm where I belong, and Paul is back where he belongs, which is back as being my sort of number two on the show, but uh, I love him all the same. How you doing, Paul? Rob, much more comfortable in this position, mate. Thank you very much. I, you know, echoing the thoughts, I do not want to do that shake-up again anytime soon. I, in fact, out of all the podcasts we're doing, what we're doing about 18, 19 now, it's the first one I just cannot listen back to. Uh, you're okay, mate. You were fine. You were fine. You made me look good, if nothing else. So that's, uh, <laughs> that's a good thing. Now, listen, we're talking about that. We're talking about whether you're comfortable on a podcast, whether you're the host, whether you're the guest. Well... We're going to bring on someone who is equally comfortable in either role. He's done all sorts of different podcasts, all sorts of different writing. And as usual on this show, he's, uh, he's a good pal of yours and mine. So I'll uh, bring him on right now. Delighted to have him on for the first time. From the Gorilla Position podcast, it's Ash Rose. Ash, how are you doing? I'm good, Rob. Pleasure to be here. How are you doing, Paul? Very well, thanks, Ash. Thanks for coming along. Oh, thank you. It's good to be. Pleasure. Hooked on. Do you know what? That's First of all, that's really nice that you said hi to Paul, because people don't say hi to Paul. I say hello to the guests and they say hi and then I talk to them for 20 minutes and Paul doesn't get a word in. So it's really nice that straight away you said, hi Paul, and hopefully that'll make him feel you know, relaxed. I feel that the tension's gone out of your shoulders already, Benson. Oh, I feel like I'm in, I'm, I'm in a good spot, Rob. We're ready to rock, aren't we? Excellent. Well, as we know with football, number two's always just as important as number one's. Brian Clough will tell you that. <laughs> there you go. Well, actually, I'm glad you've mentioned that straight in the, um, off, the, uh, off the start with some football because... Um, this is not your podcast debut, you two, is it? Because you've uh, you've done a little bit of work. With, tell us where you've worked with Paul Benson before on a podcast, Ash. I have, yeah. I mean, um, a little niche podcast that I still do uh, per- uh, sporadically, which is uh, about 90s football. And uh, Mr. Benson was a guest last season where we talked. Was it football TV and football in the 90s, if I remember rightly, Paul, wasn't it? We did two. We did TV and football. And I, I cannot for the life remember what the second one was. But it was abs- I was delighted to be on. Like, if there's anything that I like as much as wrestling, it's 90s football. So as soon as I knew you were doing a podcast, I was just gagging to be invited on. <laughs> yeah, well, what's not to love about 90s football? Everyone loves a Reggie Blinker or something like that, don't they? Correct, correct. That is, what a great reference that is. By the way, first of all, first and foremost, this is only interest to one person in the world, but Chris Groves, if you're listening, Reggie Blinker works, okay? Me and Chris play a little game about how, how banal a reference you can get about something. I love Reggie Blinker, straight off the bat with a 90s football reference. Actually, I've, I've been known to use that as a little bit of Cockney rhyming slang. He's had a bit of a Reggie there, a Reggie Blinker, stinker. Oh, poor oh, Reggie, poor me. Reggie. There are a lot worse. Glenn Helder is one that I use every now and then. <laughs> for, for what? 
for a bad game. <laughs> oh, just for someone that's rubbish, right? I thought yeah. I was looking for the right. Yeah. You just, you just, you yeah. just mean something that was rubbish. Just yeah. a reference, yeah. Uh, only when he gets a welder in. Yeah, that's why I was trying to work out. Does <laughs> he you know someone called Imelda? I was, I was, I was really <laughs> struggling for where, uh, where that was going. Anyway, Reggie Blinker antics aside, um, Ash, as far as um, as far as wrestling goes, I think the first time that uh, you and I crossed paths was probably on the uh, on the Slam, was it on Sports the Tonight? Slam. I ever think when you were on the yeah. uh, on the video wall and I was in the studio. How long that be about yeah. five or six years ago? Yeah, quite a while ago now. Yeah, on sports. What was that called? Sports Tonight TV or something? Sports the Tonight Channel. Live. Yeah. It's Sports Tonight Live. Yeah. No. And then I think we did a studio together, didn't we? That's what, right. We did, you were on the on the wall one, a couple of weeks, and then yeah, you came in the studio and did a show, and it was uh, yeah. it was good fun. I remember that you were writing for WWE Kids magazine at the time. Are you still up to doing that? Yeah, I'm still doing yeah. bits and bobs for WWE Kids. Yeah, it's um, wow. always interesting to get that sort of view from a different audience because I think a lot of like. For instance, the Roman Reigns stuff. You t- when you t- when you write for kids magazines, you get a different view on who they like and who they're cheering for and who they're booing for. So yeah, still do bits and bobs for WWE kids. In fact, I think there's an interview with Becky Lynch in the current issue that's on sale now. Cheap plug. Oh, there's um, Paul straight off. Paul loves Becky Lynch. He's straight off to buy, no. that, buy that edition, aren't you, mate? Get us the autograph, Ash. <laughs> She's lovely. <laughs> oh, Becky Balboa. She's a lovely lass. Yo, know, I actually. Um, a, year, a couple of years ago now, must be three years ago. I can't remember the context or why or whatever, but I remember seeing that we had mutual friends on Facebook. You know, it just popped up like people you know or whatever like that. And it was just after she started in um, NXT. She just had like a first big breakout match um, after she dropped all the sort of leprechaun stuff. And um, I just remember sending her a message completely out of the blue, just saying, you know, really impressed, like, congratulations on getting so far, blah, blah, blah. Oh, and she actually replied and said, oh, thank a, you very much. Such a creep. <laughs> such a creep. <laughs> it's what? the one and only time I've ever, ever done that unsolicited. And I do not know what possessed me. Well, I do. Um, but, um, yeah, she replied, which was lovely. Uh, so she's she, a nice girl. She yeah, is a very nice lady. That Good. story illustrates how nice she is and what a creep yeah. you are. Blo- have you been blocked since, Paul? <laughs> oh, I've lost count of the number I've been blocked by Ash. It's, 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 it's water for ducks back now. <laughs> oh, filth. I'm, I'm glad we've talked about the, um, the the kids' magazine early on, though, because that was an avenue I wanted to go down asking you about. Um, does it change your perspective? Because obviously you've been doing that for quite some time now. You must get a better idea of just how how different... Because, I mean, when we're talking, quote-unquote, kids here, a seven-year-old is going to watch the wrestling different to a 10-year-old, to a 13, and all the way up... It, what's the sort of core market, the the age group that um, that that magazine is aiming at, or is it sort of all the way across the spectrum? Uh, I, I believe it's it's sort of seven to forty, a lot like because I, I I'm the editor of Kick Magazine, which is a kids' football magazine, so it's along the same sort of lines of sort of seven to fourteen year olds. So it's that kind of I always think it's a core of sort of nine ten before they get too smart and and too what's going on in the business. So yeah, and it is it is very different. Like the whole John Cena thing for years, I've had I've able to see that different side of it and had just how popular he really is with with kids you go to any of the london shows you still see a sea of cena shirts because kids still love him and they always have done so it's, it's always nice to get that that balanced opinion and it's the same as i said with roman reigns at the moment and that's very much of that audience as well then they can boo him as much as they want but he's very very popular with the kids and the new day are still very popular which is why they haven't split them up or whatever they what people want them to do it's that core audience that buys merchandise that gets their parents to buy merchandise is why we see them still on our screens and and why they're so popular yeah there's something about some of the colorful acts i was think when i was yeah. a kid that um, I used to like Marty Jannetty and Randy Savage and people that had lots of colour in their outfits, the Steiner brothers, although it all sort of stands out to me how luminous and day-glow they were. And I watched 
I watched Bailey come on Raw this week. It was like Bailey looked like you know she was auditioning to be Joseph or something this week. There were so many different colours on her jacket, but it was like there is something about the colour that brings out the um, sort of the energy in the, in the kids and certainly what you're saying about Cena. I do remember going to a show at the O2, oh probably five or six years ago, maybe a little bit more actually, um, and I was always I was quite like Cena. I was never you know a big um, hater of him. Um, would defend him a little bit, but I remember going to one of those shows and just seeing. I think he was in the green at the time. You know, he changes his colour all the time. Yeah. But I think he was. Pretty in the, pebbles. The, that's yeah. I think it was. It was that sort of like sort of um, British racing green almost, a little bit lighter than yeah. that, but that sort of um, sort of mid green, and it was just dotted across the arena everywhere you looked. There was just these little patches of green. Um, it was like spring had sprung in the middle of the uh, the O2 arena. All these green patches, and actually, when you looked properly. They didn't just have a shirt on. They had shorts on. They had a headband on. They had wristbands on. They had the dog tag. They had signs. They are so all in, aren't they, when the kids have someone that they love. And it really made me look at it totally differently and think, you know, I understood that market was there. But when you see it right in front of your eyes and, and the reaction that they give when they see their hero come out, it's just mind-blowingly good. It's really exciting to watch, I think. Um, and so, yes, I think getting that perspective so do you find yourself getting a little bit irritated if you listen to um you know a podcast or you're reading some reports and stuff and people are doing the same old same old you know slagging off john cena and whatever do you feel a bit more defensive because you feel you understand that market a bit more a little bit yeah i mean i think it becomes old hat doesn't it just to, to be like that about john cena the way it's getting with roman reigns as well and with wrestling there's always someone who wants to complain about something so but it does for it they don't understand the complete audience you know wrestling is there to to please not just us but people younger than us people who've got different tastes so you have to really take that in it's a company that is widespread across all the ages across all the races across all the sexes it's, it's, they've got to appeal to so many different people and the kids are a vital part of especially nowadays when you live in this pg environment such a massive part of what wwe product is most definitely yeah, I was just going to say I completely agree with Ash. I think there's there's such an you know, it's like the the wider political world at the minute where you know the complaint is that we're all on Facebook and all we see on our social media is our own opinions bounce back at us from like-minded friends and it's it's probably quite similar in wrestling that all we see is a very narrow bubble as thirty-something guys is you know Roman Reigns is this, John Cena is the other, five-star matches, blah blah blah. Whereas really, you know, it is such a rich tapestry and there is so much more to it than just, you know, having a great five-star match or whatever. Um, and it, it, is, it is interesting to get that other perspective on it. I, I've been to live events with my two nephews who are like 12 and 8. And they were about, they were about two years ago and I took them to their first show and they just absolutely adored Cena. And they weren't wrestling fans at all. They didn't really know anything about it. And of all the guys you know they had Daniel Bryan CM Punk the Wyatts uh, Dolph Ziggler all these guys in the card and the one that they gravitated towards was John Cena and it kind of struck me that that WWE kind of do know what they're doing um, by and large in, in reaching out to different markets I would I would argue uh, until my last breath that they're screwing up Roman Reigns across all age groups something massively um, but that's another story for another time I think by and large you're absolutely dead on yeah, I think that the Cena thing as well is, is it shows the characters like we as, as grown up wrestling fans love guys like Daniel Bryan and CM Punk and especially AJ Styles at the moment but because he has this kind of more colourful character and as Rob said they go all in they really really do I like um I like your little story there about Paul about taking the kids and that they would gravitate towards Cena because I can tell an almost opposite story of when I was 12 and went to see my first ever um, it was a house show I guess in, in Birmingham 
Um, and my dad took me, and my dad had zero interest in wrestling, even less now. Um, and there was one act all night that dad went, oh, I quite like him. And it was uh, it was Stone Cold Steve Austin, who had only <laughs> really just become Stone Cold Steve Austin. We're talking sort of November 96 here. So we just had Austin Brett at um, uh, Survivor Series. So we're talking that sort of era. But um, my dad sort of didn't really understand why I was jumping around clapping at uh, two pig farmers that were uh, wrestling and various other different uh, acts that were on that night. But uh, he liked Austin. This was a sort of the start of the middle finger. Um, and uh, would you like to guess what luminary, um, what wrestling great Steve Austin was wrestling that night in Birmingham where I made God. my house show debut? You've nice. told me this before. I might have done, actually. But go on, go on have a guess, Ash. Oh, Ahmed oh, Johnson? Oh, no, worse. I, I would say... I, I see. Was it Duke the Dumpster Drosy? No, you're in the right territory now. You're in the um, you're in the gimmick territory. It was Aldo Montoya. Oh God, Portuguese House Yeah. Uh, um, Justin, yeah, Justin became just incredible. Just it? incredible, yeah. Sorry, Al Snow was uh, Avatar, it wasn't was it? Avatar, Avatar. And Leaf yeah. Cassidy, yeah. yeah. Do you remember Avatar? I still remember watching Raw around that era. Um, I remember watching it at my mate Charles's house on a Friday night. And I remember being absolutely gobsmacked because Isaac Yankin was taking on this guy called Avatar who wore a mask for his ring entrance and took it off to wrestle. I thought that was the coolest thing ever and then put it back on again afterwards. Absolutely (laughs) brilliant. People cannot complain about wrestling today when we had to sit through (laughs) Isaac Yankin and Avatar. I mean, come on. (laughs) And who would have thought those two had gone? They've had pretty good careers, those two. Yeah, they've done all right. Ended up doing doing pretty well. Old Um, Mayor Kane. <laughs> um, we're in. We're instinctively look. The three of us have got together, and we're instinctively doing nineties um, nostalgia happens. already. <laughs> so you you bring it out in us, Ash. Um, one thing that's we'll talk just, about Adam Bomb in a minute. Yes, fantastic. Let's. Um, I haven't. Uh, I don't think it's a rude thing to ask someone. So this is why I don't know. But I actually don't know how old you are. I'm guessing you're roughly around about my age, given that um, um, we sort of we have our football and our wrestling knowledge sort of goes around about the same thing. But if you don't mind me asking, how old are you, sir? No, I'm, I'm the ripe old young age of 33. Oh well, as as am I, as of last week. So we're uh, we're pretty much. Well, happy observed. birthday for last week, right? Thanks, mate. I appreciate that. <laughs> Benson, in fact, turned. I think might have been a couple of years older than that, just a couple of days ago. 35. 35. 35. 35. 35. Uh, what? What? Didn't hear that. What you say? No, no. Yeah, anyway, my birthday on Sunday. Anyway, we have oh. a, a hundred and one. Happy birthday years. as well. <laughs> Thank you very much. Hundred and one years between us, um, which is a, a good average over the just on the uh, the high side of the uh, the thirty-three. But um, I think uh, what I'm what I'm going to ask here is what was the era in which you think you came into res- watching wrestling properly, Ash? Because I always say that. SummerSlam 91 was the first pay-per-view I watched, which was I was seven years old. But it was really, I would say, um, in the run-up to WrestleMania 9 that I really think I started to get into wrestling properly. That was my real passionate, watched every week, even if I wasn't allowed to, would find a way of watching it on Sky One sort of um, era. Can you remember when it was that you really, really sort of latched on? Yeah, it would have been around the same time, maybe even a bit before it, because I, I think the first thing I ever did, my nan got Sky before we did, or Cable, she was way ahead of the time before my parents were, and she, I remember coming across the uh, SummerSlam 90 angle, which was what, Hogan Earthquake at the time, and Hogan right. looked like he was out, and I was, you know, I fully believed that he was gone, this big hero that they were all talking about, so I think I was kind of into it from then, and then maybe within a year, it was kind of, we had Sky at home, and then I was catching it every week, so, I mean, Survivor Series 90 is one of the pay-per-views that always stands out for me because it's kind of 
one of the big ones I remember. But going to SummerSlam '92 is that from that onwards, I was kind of hooked. That was I had to watch everything, consume everything, buy everything. Um, you know, Wembley Stadium. It needs to come back because that I can still see that in my mind. It was such an amazing night at Wembley, and I think that really cemented me as I was gone. I was gone forever, and here we are in our 30s, and I'm still gone. So yeah, that would be in that era definitely. And I was I was more a warrior than Hogan, but definitely the Wembley '92 stuff. That's interesting. That is something that um, I promise, dear listener, that I am going to press Bruce Pritchard on when we get to our um, Something to Wrestle With Bruce Pritchard shows in the UK this coming July. More about that later on in the podcast, um, which I'll be hosting. And we're going to be talking about a lot of UK subjects, is, is our in, uh, our intention. And something Bruce I've heard evade in the past is why won't they come back uh, mm. and do a pay-per-view over here? And I still insist there are plenty of good reasons, especially now that the network is such a thing that they could come back here and do a do even if it's not a UK pay-per-view like a SummerSlam but a, a specific one-off show that they can do on the network the same way that they've done shows in Japan and, and other sorts of things I still think it's something that uh, that can be done what do you think Ash Is, do, you, do you think I'm just barking at the wrong tree just thinking it's something that we want to see rather than the actual prudence of it I think now more than ever, we've so much sort of being invested in the UK right now. What with the, the UK championship and you see the guys that are, you know, the top of the card now. I know Finn Balor's obviously Irish, but of that ilk as well. I think now more than ever is probably time that it could happen. Um, I know there's a, the, the main argument where spoilers, blah, blah, blah. But I'm sure, you know, American audiences could, could let us have one pay-per-view scene as we do it every single month for them watch, watching them at silly o'clock in the morning. So I think given what WWE are investing in the UK at the moment, I know the TV show is obviously still being worked on as well. I think we could have it. There could be a slim chance. I mean, I'd love it to be SummerSlam just for nostalgia value. But like you say, even just a one-off show like they've done in Japan and, and so forth would be something. And we'd fill Wembley Stadium so easily as well. I think it probably would do. Paul, you know about um, the TV world. That's where you, uh, where your background comes from, selling television and, and knowing about the ins and outs. When they did the NXT show over here and they streamed it on the network, could that have been a bit of a toe-in-the-water thing, testing things out? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think there's, there's two ways of looking at it, really. Obviously, the, that NXT show was... By what they were, by what they were measuring it on, a really big success. Now, if I remember rightly, it was on at sort of eight, to, eight or nine o'clock at night in the UK, which mm-hmm. is sort of mid midday on a on a weekday, sort of sorry, early afternoon on a weekday. Um, yeah, midday the on the States. west coast. Yeah, midday on the west coast. But but the difference is with that is that, and I I think this, we tried NXT parties and they didn't really work because I, I'm pretty sure that people don't see NXT as a live property just yet. They don't see it as something they have to watch live necessarily. So it wouldn't have been a problem because all the guys in the US would have just waited a couple of hours and watched it in an evening at their leisure. Similar to how probably I would I would venture that a lot of the guys in the UK watch Takeover um, from Orlando or Dallas or whatever on a Sunday morning rather than a Saturday night I'm sure there's plenty of exceptions but I said by and large it's not a live product so you know um, it wasn't a big deal for that but certainly when we were in the pay-per-view area era before the network you know you had to sort of look at any pay-per-view that was done in a different time slot to the usual one you know it was those pay-per-views were such massive money spinners to WWE and so vital to their to their revenue that taking one out of the um taking one out of the regular sort of slot would ne- would massively harm the the buying habits in the US and wouldn't be made up by the gate, uh, gate revenue in the UK it just, just wouldn't have worked um, so I can always completely understand why they didn't want to do it back in the day the economics just didn't support it 
I don't see the argument for that now. I st- we're not going to get SummerSlam. We're not going to get the Royal Rumble. Obviously, we're not going to get WrestleMania anytime soon. But there's no reason why we can't get, say, money in the bank, especially now they're doing 18 pay-per-views a year and very few people are going to subscribe, subscribe, sorry, subscribe or unsubscribe to the WWE Network just because money in the bank is on five hours earlier than usual. And like Ash says, we'd sell out Wembley Stadium in a heartbeat for something like that. You know, I... I'd love to know what the reason they haven't put this in place already is. I, I can't fathom it myself. Yeah, we must do some digging because I, I always think that not only... Um, I suppose it's a different, it's a different era, actually, the argument I'm about to make, but I was going to say um, not only would those 90,000 people go, but they would all buy a copy of the DVD. Well, actually, a lot of them would have the network now, wouldn't they? They'd be able to watch it that way. But I yeah. still think that there's there's so much that can be made. And actually, it's the it's the add-ons and the other things that you can do you're saying you don't think it would be a SummerSlam or, or whatever, but whatever pay-per-view that they would do, they could make it like a WrestleMania weekend in the sense mm. that, you know, let's do an, do an NXT show on the on the Saturday night in Wembley Arena again and do a fan access event and you could make it into it a bit, we've talked a lot on this podcast about WrestleMania become becoming Edinburgh or becoming Glastonbury. It's like, I don't see why you couldn't do a sort of a bit of a, a UK festival around it because goodness knows we've got some incredibly good UK um, wrestling companies these days that a couple of which are closely aligned to WWE others that have you know the the wrestlers have been used in the in the UK tournament there's British wrestlers that go out to America for Wrestlemania weekend British companies that put on shows in America for Wrestlemania weekend I think we could have a big sort of UK festival here I think it would be you- such a a big big thing that they could make such a lot of you absolutely could and you know there's for instance there's an NXT takeover in is it Chicago um, in a couple of months time in that gap between the Wrestlemania and the SummerSlam one and there's no reason why that couldn't be in the UK along with the pay-per-view I remember must be four or five years ago now when I was working well, well when UFC were one of my clients and we went to Wembley uh, God, I'm talking about my backside went to the O2 for an event it was headlined by Bisping against Akiyama and Dan Hardy was on the card against Carlos Condit and it was actually um, Hardy's first match after he got beaten um, so bravely by GSP in that world title fight when he went five rounds with him um, he actually lost to Condit but that's not the point the point is it wasn't some big mega show it wasn't like USC 100 it wasn't a big anniversary show but they went with all the bells and whistles they had a big expo at Earl's Court they had a party um, I was lucky enough to attend for a lot of their licensees and partners uh, on the Saturday, on the Friday night before, and they went to town with it. And it was a massive success in um, in bringing the profile up of UFC in the UK, both in the public eye and in the industries. So there's, I, I just like I said, I don't see the argument for WWE not making it that WrestleMania type weekend in the UK. Yeah, you're dead right. And just see how many like. UK fans go to WrestleMania as well and, and take over Raw tonight. It's Massive. you can imagine double, triple that attending a UK event over those days, especially NXT because it's so popular at the moment. Given Raw on Monday as well, we've got the venues to host it. It really does make financial sense, surely, from a WWE point of view. It it can't just be the timing of of shows that's going against it. There must be another reason because for me, it's just a win win for everyone. Yeah, there must be. Just you know, think about it. Even if you just concentrate on on uh, London. You know, you could have Wembley Arena hosts NXT on the Friday night, then Wembley Stadium, um, sorry, sorry, on the Saturday night, Wembley Stadium then hosts 
um, WWE whatever whatever pay per view it is on the on the Sunday, and then you could go to the O2 for Raw and SmackDown. Hell, you could even do a a UK special Hall of Fame um, on the Friday. Get Davy Boy in there, yeah, it's about Davey time Boy, anyway. The Bulldogs as the headliners, Regal, Big Finley. Daddy, yeah. Finley, all these guys, and the amount of press and positive PR that I generate. Um, by having that in, you know, again in one of the arenas around London or wherever, it, I'm I'm getting so excited. Just, I've never really discussed it in this depth before, but you really, when you put it like that, they could give themselves another WrestleMania. Can I, I'll just stop here because I, I envisioned that I might make an edit of this and and send it to people in the corridors of power. <laughs> so can I just stop and say, uh, Hunter, Hunter? I won't say Paul because it's two Pauls would be confusing. But Hunter, if you're listening, which I've now I've sent you this, I'm sure you will be. Um, can you take all this on board mate because you're the one that seems to get the, the forward thinking things going through I know we've had our troubles because Paul's called you a bitch about three times on this podcast and, <laughs> and we've had some you know mm, teething troubles in fact I'm stupid of me to even bring it up because you might not have known that until then but you know do your best mate I and mean, if, if you need any help with any sort of uh, sort of promotion around it you know you can come on this podcast and, and I'm sure that'll sell our last uh, 70 or 80,000 tickets that you need to uh, make a few quid out of it there we go that's it pitch all done boys we're, we're there um, <laughs> well, it's the... interesting as well that they they do download because that's obviously a, a a unique way, but it's also a festival feel. So I don't know, is that something Chad testing waters as well? I'm not sure. Maybe. I mean, I think that's a lot to do with the. Um, I think the the promoters of uh, of WWE over here, I think, are involved with download, aren't they, Paul? Again, you'll know that world better than me. But I think that's a a bit of. I think that's Live Nation, isn't it? They're doing the both of those. It's Live Nation that do the NXT tours for WWE, yeah, and they, um, they're the promoters of download as well, correct? So I think that's a bit of a cross-pollination there, and they've done a very, very good job of that, may I say. That's a, um, And again, it was, uh, again, UK, UK companies testing the water, though, because Progress did download um, um, before WWE did, so the, the wrestling connection at download had already been done. Yeah. So um, uh, credit to... Uh, to John and Glenn and Jim there from um, Progress who are very forward thinking when it comes to stuff and obviously they've worked with uh, WWE a lot as well um, I'm changing the subject completely here really but um, we're still in that post Wrestlemania season where um, I'm sort of looking back on the show and gauging what people thought of it I think it's quite a good time actually now that the dust has settled a bit so Ash, Wrestlemania this year success, big success jury's still out, what do you think? Oh, yeah, it's, hindsight's a wonderful thing, isn't it? I mean, at the time, the first half of WrestleMania, I thought was I was I was there. You know, I was kind of go, expecting even more from the second half because I, I had not low expectations of WrestleMania, but sort of middling expectations. But the first half just flew by. There was some great action. Obviously, the return of the Hardys was, although we'd been rumoured over the weekend to still see them on WWE screens, was, was a massive pleasure and a big shock on the night. And the pop they got was absolutely ridiculous. Um, I think it took a nosedive after that, unfortunately. I mean, the Bray Wyatt, Randy Orton feud and match, I could wax, not, not what wax lyrical, but just talk about in depth of how stupid and <laughs> just ridiculous it's been from start to finish pretty much and that match kind of summed it up I'm dreading the House of Horrors on Sunday I can't imagine what they've got in, in mind for that I just think of the WCW Chambers of Horrors match they did many years ago which was just as bad so I think overall it had some very very highs that we'll look back on in you know like they do with Wrestlemania moments and think yeah they were they were mega moments even the, the kickoff show was pretty good as well um, so I think it was a kind of to use a football analogy it wasn't very much a game or two after let down by the WWE title match um, and yeah so I, yeah game of two halves in the end I, I think I'm still sticking with that view Fair dues. I think I'm. I ought. 
I ought to make myself go and watch it. I have a tendency to watch a pay-per-view and then just leave it for ages until I go back to it. But I feel I ought to watch it again soon to try and gauge it. I absolutely loved it. In the moment this year, I really, really loved it. Um, it was my big problem. I agree with that, that Orton... Um, uh, Orton Bray match was there, not really up to snuff, and um, it was just too long, man. I mean, these things gone forever. Yeah. But, um, generally speaking, you know, certainly if you, I think I've watched it in two or three hour chunks. Um, I really, really loved it, and I thought it was a, you know, a much, much improved effort. Paul is still absolutely um, seething that he went to WrestleMania last year, and it's basically the worst <laughs> WrestleMania in 20 years, and um, he's just really annoyed that his one and only Mania was a, a bit of a letdown, and um, to put it mildly, but. Um, uh, I, I really liked it this year. I know we've spoken on, on the podcast, Paul, that we were generally in favour. Um, we go to, you know, obviously we put on our live events with Hooked on Wrestling all over the country. Paul and I are normally at the uh, the London event. I think sometimes being there live in a crowd maybe does elevate it. I always think that we, we seem to come away with a much more positive view than the wider world does. Although I'm never quite sure if the, the wider world is sitting on Twitter where every negative opinion is just waiting to jump up and bite you in yeah. the pockets when we're live and everyone's enjoying themselves I think the happy medium is probably in between so um, um, I thought the production values of it was probably one of the best I've ever seen that set was absolutely amazing and the yeah. ramp and the titan yeah. drawing along I think some of the best entrances bar Triple H's which I thought was one of his worst I don't really get the whole biker thing despite Steph looking as gorgeous as ever I didn't like that but overall I thought the entrances were absolutely amazing I, think it's the, I really hope that that continues for next year because I think the sets every year have got better and better and better yeah they, they were fantastic and do you know whose entrance I liked it's way more, I wouldn't say it's the best of the night but it's way better than I expected to be was was our was our good old Roman Reigns like okay. you talk, you talk about the production values being at a spot on. When he did his like, put you know his his punch down to the earth. Mm. I can't remember which superhero that's emulating. It's one of them, isn't it? Um, Captain America. I don't know. Hulk. Whatever. Um, and then they, they cut to the long shot of the stadium, and the fireworks popped off down the ramp, and then boom, across the whole stadium at the end. I thought that was absolutely magnificent. I think the moment I like most from the entrance was Charlotte's, like that camera angle of her standing, because I'm a massive Charlotte fan as well. I think she's one of the probably, if not the best female the company's ever had. She's absolutely amazing. But that image of her standing outside the ring and the fireworks going off behind her in that big peacock robe, absolutely yeah. stunning that was. And they tried to make that really close to Rick's, didn't they? Because that, well, yeah. that's that's where yeah, Rick yeah. went out, isn't yeah. it? So. Um, there was a little nod to history there as well. Yeah, I thought, well, um, if you go to uh, hookedonevents.co.uk um, uh, on our reasonably new website, where well, there's uh, some articles on the blog there, um, the blog that I wrote shortly after WrestleMania, I talked about how it was the greatest WrestleMania of all time. And I said it tongue-in-cheek, because I wasn't necessarily, necessarily saying it was completely the um, television product as a fan, but for everything the WWE were after in terms of reaction, in terms of what it looked like, the set, as you were saying, Ash, the entrances, all that kind of thing, um, I don't think they've ever done a better job. And I think they also have cut back hugely over the last couple of WrestleManias on the overly saccharine corporate message. That I think they did it. I think they did that more when The Rock was around. I think they they sensed that there was a few more mainstream Hollywood bods around watching The Rock, so they really went for the the charity stuff, the Susan G. Komen, the Make-A-Wish, the, the difference that WWE makes in the community. None of that's a bad thing, by the way. I'm not giving them stick for that. But it was a real over-the-top hitting you in the face with philanthropy. And I think sometimes we go... 
this is not a corporate stage to um, yeah. entertain your clients. This is your biggest show of the year. Look after the fans. And I really feel this year they, they at least tried to and um, did a really good job of it. So I think I'm back on board for WrestleMania. I think WrestleMania next year is one of those ones where you go, you feel like it'll be a good one. The Rumble, we've talked about this before, is that the Rumble's having one of those little things at the moment where the Rumble keeps kicking you in the in the dangly bits every year, it seems. that Either they uh, tease a certain person to win it and then they don't. And then even this year it was... Orton, it was, I thought it was a reasonably good rumble, but Orton winning it was a bit of a strange decision. And it seems I thought the, it was flat overall, to be honest, Rob. I thought yeah. it, nothing really happened was my problem with the Royal Rumble this year. It kind of, you know, you normally have those sort of nuggets of what's going to happen in the future and storylines progress or start and feud start. And I didn't, didn't really think you had any of that until really the last sort of 10 minutes when the big boys came out. And you also had that moment with Reigns and Taker, which foreshadowed their match at WrestleMania. But other than that, yes, there was no surprises, which is always quite nice to, to see when the surprise entrances. But it shows how strong the roster is at the moment that you don't really need them. But I just didn't think there was enough of a storyline throughout the rumble in segments that, that keep me going. I thought it was quite a poor rumble. Yeah, I would, um, sorry, excuse me, it's uh, hashtag gluten-free Peroni time, just uh, makes me get through the evening. Um, it, it is, uh, as I've pointed out before on this podcast, it is uh, bottled in this country by uh, Miller Brands in the UK, if they want to um, sponsor me and Paul, just like they sponsor uh, Bruce, Bruce and Conrad, and we're, uh, we're listening, folks. Um, oh, well, I've got a cup of tea, so if they want to sponsor me, anyone out there, the tea bag company. That's all right. Yeah. What, uh, what, what tea are you drinking tonight, sir? I, I think it's Typhoo. I think that's what the, the wife bought. So, Typhoo? Yeah. Is that the one that used to be Tugbo? Yeah, that's the one, yeah. yeah. Back to the 90s. Yeah. Um, Paul? Hashtag, hashtag it's blagging time. Um, Yorkshire tea, actually, mate. Yorkshire oh, tea. Right, so, it's, so normally, it's, normally an, it's normally a nice glass of red wine when I record with you, but I'm steady my nerves from last week. So well, it's I, knew it was, I knew it was tea. tea. You did say to me, you did send me a text before we came on air. You said, I'm just making myself a cuppa in the most British right. text anyone's ever sent. <laughs> so, okay, we, you, you enjoy you boys, but um, uh, I'm enjoying my uh, gluten-free Peroni. It goes down very nice. Um, I want to talk to you, Ash, about the, uh, about the gorilla position. Um, it's uh, yeah. a fantastic success. Um, dare I say it, and this is a bold claim of mine, which was not necessarily something I started, but I was involved with WrestleCast for a little while with The Sun. Um, and obviously that went uh, by the wayside in the end but it kind of felt like British wise there was a bit of a desert as far as podcasts went but uh, you guys have really filled a void over the last couple of years and I started by uh, James and uh, my good pal um, Rob Lee who's been on this podcast but um, you've become involved and others and it's just it's, it seems to go from strength to strength involved with talk sport um, you must be just absolutely you must be so pleased by the success of it because not only is it a great show but it's catching on this is the thing yeah, no, it is. I mean, it's a pleasure to be involved with. Obviously, a lot goes out to, to James, the host, and Rob, who, who started the show um, back in 2015. I joined last year along with um, Skillet as well, who's on the show, and, and recently Matt Davis, who's our news guy. But yeah, it has gone from strength to strength. I mean, a lot to do with, with James's good relationship with WWE, which we, we've managed to get ourselves on TalkSport, which is on Wednesday nights at 11 p.m. on TalkSport 2. You can listen to us and then the podcast version on usual platforms, blah, blah, blah. That's the cheap plug. But yeah, no, it, I've been really pleased. It's such a, it's a fun show to work on you know we like you guys we we try not to be too defeatist in a, in a world where everybody loves to complain like you said earlier about you go on twitter after a wwe show and it's just poison most of it so it's nice to have 
uh, to be as positive as we possibly can because we're all wrestling fans we're all wwe fans and that's what we try to put across i mean we did a live event as well for our 100 show back in december which was really really fun we had finn balor and bailey down at the o2 and um, we did some skits in there it was a surprise uh, appearance from wade barrett as well in impersonating shinsuke nakamura which was very very fun so yeah it's it's absolutely it's it's, it's a pleasure to it's, it's a blast to be honest it's i'm really proud of it we're, we're off recording tomorrow for tomorrow's show so yeah it'd be all good in a minute, I'm going to get you to do a proper plug. You don't have to do cheap and quick ones on this show. <laughs> Listen, mate, this entire podcast is a plug, okay? We're completely honest about this. The reason that the Hooked On podcast exists is because Hooked On Wrestling run all these shows for pay-per-views all the way through the year, and now we're doing something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard in July. So this entire reason, the, our raison d'etre is to plug, old son. So don't worry about it. In a minute, <laughs> you can go right the way through the card on every, everything that people can... Uh, listen to the gorilla position um, but I will say for, um, for for James in particular not only on Talk Sport but Channel 4 getting that um, documentary that he did around um, Charlotte and Sasha and everything mm. that went on with that just fantastic groundbreaking just a totally different perspective um, on wrestling not just in this country but generally speaking you don't really see that sort of documentary and I think I think being an outsider as in a, a Brit doing it in America I think probably helped him in terms of it wasn't a any sort of distrust of the the US networks but I thought he did such a great job on that it was really interesting and it was I would have thought it would have encouraged people to watch wrestling on a different level to let's say Total Divas because I I have friends female friends um, (laughs) who watch Total Divas and not just female friends actually I shouldn't be so um um, sexist, but basically, I have friends you know of either gender that watch Total Divas, but they don't watch wrestling. They just like the the um, uh, the sort of the catty nature of that, or the sort yeah. of reality show, the the Kardashian sort of side of things. But they don't watch wrestling. Whereas I thought that the the documentary that James did, I thought there was a few people that might have been, especially you know young females, might have watched it and go, wow, you can have a a positive, strong role model in that world, and not just be, you know, floating around the um, the Caribbean in a bikini sort of thing. I thought I thought it was a, a really nice way that he did it. Have you have you were you involved in any way in terms of the of speaking to him about it or how it all came about? Because it must have been so good to be around him for that. Yeah, very loosely. I mean, we talked about that. We knew it was going on, and mm. we talked about certain ways that he could shoot it and certain ways he could portray it but I mean a lot goes down to James and his team of Starstruck Media who who produced the documentary um, Shattering Glass Ceilings it's called on on all four now um, but no you're right it, it completely changes the view for anyone who doesn't who hasn't seen WWE for a while or has this stigma attached to it especially the women's because obviously for a long while especially in the Attitude Era you had the bikini matches and the bra and panty matches and things like that to see how far it's come to see these girls as athletes on a par and I think that documentary really shines through I thought Charlotte and Sasha were both brilliant on it as well really honest really open seeing signs to them we hadn't seen before um, all testament to, 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 to those guys because uh, they did such a great job in, in doing the documentary we could go down a, another avenue here which could turn this into a five hour podcast so I'm going to stop it before we get there but, <laughs> but um, I want to make a really quick point is which is um, Paul mark this we want to talk about this in a future episode um, but some people were quite against how open wrestling can be in the public eye. And since we're talking podcasts and since we're talking that documentary, you know, I'm talking about even podcasts like Steve Austin's and Chris Jericho's and whoever else is where, you know, they talk openly about the bit. I'm not talking about the Bruce Pritchard one, which is obviously specifically about the back of the business, but I'm talking ones that are more entertainment and interviews with current wrestlers who might be interviewed out of character, let's say. And, you know, Jericho does his character differently on the podcast or on the TV. And some sort of are a bit old school or a little bit down on that kind of thing. But um, I, for example, think that 
I thought Sasha Banks was good in NXT and was, you know, certainly on board with her. And then when I listened to her on Jericho's podcast and I heard how much passion she had and how eloquent she was and how just simply lovely she came across. Now, she was a heel on NXT TV at the time and a real bitchy one. But I fell in love with her on that podcast. I actually, I, f- I can even remember where I was. I was walking through Wimbledon Common. I can't even tell you why. But I was walking across Wimbledon Common, listening to a Sasha Banks podcast, and I fell in love with her on the radio, on on the podcast. And it didn't matter that she was a heel on the TV. When I watched her on the TV, I still hated her, and I still wanted her to get beat. It didn't affect my love of the character. I could separate. And I actually think that these kind of things. I'm going back to the documentary here. Is that you? I think you can see the person behind the character. And still want to hate the character if they're good enough. I think that's the difference. Is that sometimes you can go, oh well, it waters it down. But I think if they're good enough, you know, Kevin Owens can get people to boo him. You know, not everyone, because some people are going to go, oh, he's great. I'm going to cheer him anyway. But Kevin Owens gets people to boo him. So did Seth Rollins when he was a heel. So did Jericho. And um, there's other the Miz, people. That... The Miz is a perfect example. Miz is an amazing example right now. The Miz is universally hated when he comes out and cuts promo. God, we hate him, don't we? But we can sit back and go that guy's superb but when mm. his character comes on man alive you want to smash his mouth and do you do you agree with me obviously you're looking at the similar sort of side of the business that I would be in terms of as a journalist wanting to speak to them but I honestly feel that it's not a problem if it's done correctly and if the person themselves you know, puts the, the right side of their character across and you've, you'll have interviewed as many wrestlers as me do you feel that's a, a fair thing to say? Yeah, and I, th- I think it's nice to see that side of them. I mean, I, I, we live in a reality era. You m- mentioned Total Divas. It's one of very many reality TV shows that you get across the channels, not just on E! or whatever channel Total Divas is on at the moment. But it's nice to see and, and separate it. We know these guys play characters. When We all know that, so we all accept that already. So to see that slight different side of them... It, a perfect example, actually, is I, re- I did an interview with Neville um, just before WrestleMania, actually. And it was the first time that someone I'd spoken to in WWE had stayed completely in character for a long, long time. And you know what? It was horrible. Yeah, it was right. really it was really hard to get a, a decent answer out of him because I think most of them do have this nice blend of they'll give you what they need to give you to promote the product and a slight bit of their character. But overall, you'll get a nice interview out of it. Even Bray Wyatt, who I spoke to recently, was at one of the most in, really, really interesting interviews I've ever done because I thought he'd be very much in character, but he wasn't. He, he was brilliant. But Neville was awful it really was because i didn't really know what to ask him in the end because every answer became i don't care i'm the king of the cruiserweights blah 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 and i I know i know james interviewed him over at wrestlemania weekend as well and he was the same and that was in person over the kind of media activity that we're doing over that weekend as well and it's really hard so i think in this day and age yes there's certain things that you know talking smacks a very weird one the show they do after smackdown because sometimes I think that they don't quite get the balance right there between being characters and, and talking and being honest and open whereas because that's still part of the show but outside of their own WWE bubble when they speak to the media I think it's nice to see a side of them and, and listen to their sort of stories and wrestling and stuff and, and like in the documentary it's really really refreshing to see that side of Charlotte and Sasha Banks I think it's a two way street I've always said that um, as, a, as a journalist dare I even say analyst of the wrestling industry um, I think it's fair game for us to say that character doesn't work, he'd be better as a baby face, that storyline didn't make sense blah blah blah, but I'd never get into the in, the ins and outs of the match that's that's not, I don't belong within those ropes, so I would never say oh, they started off with a, a head scissors when they clearly should have gone for an arm and drag, and so I, I don't know anything about that that's none of my business, I'd never start on that so to me, unless you start 
as a as a journalist, Ash, if you start asking questions about that kind of thing, why did you feel it was the right decision to work the leg rather than the arm? I think they're entitled to go piss off, mate, and, yeah, like, and, 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 and shut up shop. But I think we're doing our job in the world that everyone else does it in. When they go in character, I think you're entitled to go. Do you know what? I respect why you're doing this, but we might as well call it quits because I can't use this. I've had it happen once to me. I'm very fortunate actually in that. I had it happen once, um, which was um, at. Uh, let me see. Let me get my years right. I think it was. It was at Bound for Glory 2008. I think it would have been um, where I interviewed Jay Lethal when he was Black Machismo. Jay oh Lethal. yeah. Now <laughs> I love that character, by the way. Um, and he did a great job with it, but it was just after Black Machismo had been um, uh, he had been betrayed by Sanjay Dutt, and that uh, that harlot SoCal Val had turned on Black Machismo, and as it would happen in the little conference room in the hotel in uh, Chicago where we were staying, um, I was interviewing the in character Black Machismo Jay Lethal and struggling, and SoCal Val walked in, and he went into a full. You know, I can't be in the same room as her and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, for a start, mate, this is a recorded radio podcast. <laughs> no one can actually see that you're there. I'm not even saying it was a podcast interview. It might just been a, I was going to transcribe it later. So I'm not sure if it was even live audio. But <laughs> the idea that you're doing this in character, it was just, I literally did go at one point go, look, I'm really sorry. I'm quite entertained by all this, but I can't use all this. Do you want to stop? And he sort of went, oh, no. And he kind of went, well, you know, and, and basically he then stayed in character, but then gave sort of more wrestling answers. I, I went to broader TNA questions rather than yeah. his story. It, at the end of the day, it, it's a television show. That's what it is at the moment. And you wouldn't expect someone from The Walking Dead to turn up and play the character that they play on TV when you're interviewing them. It just I doesn't agree. happen. Um, I, it is slightly different. It's sports entertainment. I know it's that kind of weird sort of juxtaposition that we have and behind the curtain and all that. But we moved on from that now it's the reality era and I think Vince McMahon likes it that way that's why you see the brilliant shows on um, the network WWE 24 which I absolutely love and it's a fantastic watch seeing the ins and outs so if they're happy with it I think everyone else should be happy with it as well because that's the, that's the business as it is and I really like hearing the stories behind the wrestlers and, and their thoughts and views and what's going on so I'd rather that than just listen to what you see on TV every week just a, a rehash of that every time and seeing the character because what are you getting out of that as a journalist what are you getting out of that as someone who's consuming it as a reader it's nice to hear something different that you don't see on WWE TV every week it's, uh, it's so, so true See, I, I have a slightly different perspective to you guys in that, you know, you, you are journalists, you interview these guys, and, it, and it's part of what you do as a job. I am definitely more in the in the fan role when it comes to interacting with them. And, you know, I, I completely understand what you're saying, and I agree with it, and that it's great to get to dig behind the characters. And, you know, we're old enough and dumb enough not to realise that these guys are just playing, you know, they are, they're just playing characters on TV. Like you said, it's just like The Walking Dead in the sense that they're just playing roles. Having said that, if I have, um, if I hear a great interview with a guy that makes me really like him um, or her, and it really makes me relate to them, I then struggle a bit to to have that utter loathing that I might need for them as a heel. Um, case in point is Kevin Owens, mm. um, and he's the first one that springs to mind. There's probably a few, but I think Kevin Owens plays an absolutely phenomenal bastard heel the face right? of america 
He is the face of America. He is everything you want in a loathsome heel that shouldn't be liked. But the problem is, I like the guy. He's clearly one of the nicest guys there is behind the scenes. He's a family man. He's got a lovely wife who my wife made friends with at WrestleMania the other year. And and he can't do a nut. You know, I remember him mentioning uh, Chris Travis on Twitter when he passed away and I just can't bring myself to fully hate Kevin Owens when every bit of work he does on screen justifies me hating him. Um, and I just think that's a slight problem in, in this day and age. And I don't think it's a problem we can get around because it is the age we live in. We do live in the reality area and we have to work within that. But it's just I just find it a bit of a shame. To try and solve that a little, I'll tell you what I would do in the first instance. is If I were running things... I wouldn't let them have like a dual Twitter. As in, I would say, see if you want Kevin Owens, if Kevin Owens has a Twitter, Kevin Owens should be a prick. And Kevin Owens should be, <laughs> he should be being horrible about Sami Zayn and horrible to the fans and horrible to Jericho and whatever. Kevin Steen, if indeed that's his real name, I don't know that that's his real name, I'm just assuming it is because that's what his Ring of Honor name was, but whatever his real name is, can have his own Twitter and do his own thing. I don't like the blurring of it. I don't like um, someone that uh, you and I know very well, um, Paul, and Ash would know as well, is Dixie Carter was particularly bad at that on Twitter. Yeah. About when she, her storyline called for it, she would be on Twitter saying, oh, God, I hate that Jeff Jarrett, or I hate that so-and-so Kurt Angle, or whoever it might be to, you know, that was affecting her character. But then two days later, she'd be saying... Um, what a lovely day out we had, um, you know, with our friends at, you know, Spike TV and was that. Look, you can't be lovely and then a bitch. It doesn't work, Dixie. You, you, it's inconsistent. And St- yeah. Stephanie McMahon gets a lot of stick for her Twitter. The fact that, she, and, but she, her Twitter bio says, "I play a bad guy on TV." Yeah, I was and about she, to say that TV she, villain. Yeah, she gets a lot of stick for that, but she's consistent on her Twitter. Her Twitter, she does not say, "My husband Triple H was fantastic last night and he deserved to beat Seth Rollins." She doesn't do it. She only does the corporate, I'm an actress sort of side of things. And I think that's fine. It is difficult because her name, of, obviously, on TV is her real name. And then, you know, so does she have two Twitters because of that? Probably not. But she, you don't have to do in-character shit on Twitter. That's not the rules. You don't have to do it. And it's like, Cena can get away with it because Cena the character and Cena the real person is probably not that different anyway. But to me, I think that, you know, if you were... I know he's not around anymore to do it, but CM Punk and Phil Brooks should have two different Twitters, mm. and to just to keep things, you know, completely separate. And that would be a better way of doing it. And then when they use a tweet on uh, on screen to, to demonstrate what Seth Rollins is thinking, that is different to what uh, I think he's called Colby Lopez. It's different to what Colby Lopez thinks. It's what Seth Rollins thinks. And I understand there would be a problem in terms of how many people follow which one, but I just I just think that would be a better way of doing it to separate things. And I'm all for your Walking Dead example is a great point, Ash, because that's exactly it to me. Is that if someone were to appear on a on a talk show, you know, whoever wherever it was, Graham Norton, whatever, and if they appeared and they were their character, everyone would just go, "Grow up, mate." Yeah. It what are just you doing? Looks yeah. so stupid, and it's like we're past that. You know, we're so far past that. And if if that stresses out people that you know grew up protecting the business, then I'm sorry, it isn't time for that anymore. We've moved on. And, it's and like, I think that social might be media. A shame has... to them, but you know, it's just the way it goes. 
social media has so much to do with it. I think WWE probably had that discussion between them in, in their offices about having dual Twitter accounts. I can see it. It's probably something that's been on their mind, but it's such a tricky way to do it. Like you say, who would follow? How many followers would one get? I think what they've done have just decided to embrace social media and go full on like they do. And, and that's why we're so open these days. And, and it, I think it helps. I do take your point, Paul, I, I, with, with heels. And I think we live in a world where it's so hard to distinguish baby faces and heels anyway. I think it's really hard to be a baby face in 2017 anyway regardless of what you're doing on social network or doing in the ring so but I can take your point I think the Miz is a perfect example I think he obviously he is kind of his character turned up as well so what he does on social media he's usually the Miz um, and so it makes you hate, hate him that little bit better but Kevin Owens is a great example of someone who seems like the sweetest guy on earth but at the same time when he goes into that WWE arena he is absolutely he's a grade A heel he, everything he does is, is perfect as a heel but this goes all the way back to Stone Cold and The Rock because if you watch wrestling from 1999 The Rock is 100% pure heel Yeah, he's rude to people he slags off the announcers he has no friends he is an absolute out and out 100% asshole, and yet he's been cheered out of every arena and ostensibly he's a babyface because he's wrestling the heels and Austin is kicking off and middle fingering people and raising hell and not doing what he's told the pair of them Ten years earlier, would have been the biggest heels in the industry. Definitely, yeah. It's society, late, isn't it? By it's the how late society 90s, changes. Society had changed. Yeah. And if you watch Raw this week, you know Bailey, who's never put a foot wrong in her life, is barely getting cheered anymore. Oh, Outside that's, of the the, NXT, that's the that's the booking, though, Rob, isn't it? Let's be it, honest. That's the way she's been booked. It is a little bit, but she's still as a character, you know, a nice girl that you kind of want to get behind. And Alexa's a horrible little pain in the ass. And yet Alexa's the one that's that's getting shit. Strowman is is wrecking the place and turning over ambulances and picking on little poor luchadors, and getting cheered. It's like it's everything you watch. You go, it's so hard for them to tell a mm. a real story. And it's like Callisto is an undersized guy, and he cut a promo saying, Kurt, what kind of man would I be to not want to fight this guy that belittled me last week? And you should go, yes, Callisto, what a guy you are. And actually, he won, got attacked by Braun, and the fans are going, one more time. And so, like, how are you meant to deal with that? He's the most, that is the most straight down the line, proper baby face you could possibly be, and the fans want the seven-foot giant to kill him. <laughs> and just think, he can't win. It's impossible. I feel so bad for someone like that that they the fans basically want they now want the car crash they're interested in seeing the big guy wreck the little guy rather than the little guy getting the, the upset win which is what he got but it didn't get a massive reaction did it it was a bit of a oh look he won now now Braun's going to kill him yeah so, that, that, it's baying for blood a little bit isn't it I mean it, I think we, really were, we were spoiled with the Attitude Era we were spoiled I think every now and then fans kind of clamber for that to come back and it's not going to happen but little skits like that you know the, the ambulance thing that happened a couple of weeks ago was hilarious I don't know you know it went that little bit too far for me because it got comedy in the end and I think fans just jump on that because they want more of that rather than guys like Kalisto or John Cena and to a certain extent Roman Reigns but it's not going to happen and it makes it you're right it makes it so difficult to be as I said a babyface at the moment I can't really think of anyone on either roster who's an out and out babyface you know you look at a guy like Dean Ambrose who I think has gone, gone incredibly stale over the past six months but he's a babyface but he's not very nice you know he's a lunatic fringe he's Ambrose has attacked Miz three times in the last yeah. three weeks for no reason other than Miz is a dick but Ambrose has attacked Sasha did it as well with um, Alexa just punched her in the face and it's like that's not a baby face way of acting 
they've done nothing to you other than being a bit obnoxious. You don't need to just go and hit them. And it's like, but actually, this all goes back to the Attitude Era when Stone Cold and The Rock did that for a pastime, and they got away with it. Honestly, if you go and sit and watch uh, an episode of 1999 Raw for, with with the idea of having the traditional you know, baby face and heel things, it's blown out of the water then, and that's 18 years ago. Mm. And we've been They've up never and down really and in and out they? and around. It's never recovered, and now we're in a total no-man's land. So actually, do you know what? The best things tend to be when they have that polarisation of, you know, it's Cena versus, like, Daniel Bryan, let's say. I know they only did that really one go on the SummerSlam, but if you can have someone... Or Cena, sorry, sorry, Cena versus AJ Styles is a much better example, mm. where who's the babyface and who's the heel? Well, to you, you might think AJ Styles, the athletic, brilliant wrestler that's travelled the world and is absolutely magnificent and deserves his chances, is the, is the babyface, is the hero. Whereas... Cena, the sickening, rubbish joke telling, entitled, pushed down your throat, he's the heel. But going right back to the start of this conversation, your 10 year old that's picking up WWE Kids magazine, AJ Styles is this obnoxious coming off the street, who are you, you know, hashtag beat up John Cena bully. Whereas Cena is the, the, the he's been around for ages and he's the WWE guy, he's my guy, he's the hero. And I love those kind of things where actually. As long as the characters are consistent, it sort of doesn't matter if they're a babyface or a heel, because you can be both at the same time. Don't use the word tweener, I hate it. But that, that <laughs> thing, that's to me, tweener means inconsistency. Cena has never, never budged an inch in 12 years. He's always played that character right down the line, and so since he's come back, has been, or since he came in, is Styles. I know they've essentially gone babyface with him now, but he's not really changed his character, AJ. And it's like, the chemistry that those pair have is magical. And I think those are the best things. AJ, AJ Cena is the best thing that's happened in the last five years, as far as I'm concerned. And mm, every time they wrestle, it's just magnificent. And to me, those are the things that stand out now. Not the overly contrived storylines, you know, desperately trying to do this with Roman or desperately trying to do this with whoever. But if you just go, here's the top guy, here's the top guy, wrestle, pick your favourite. Yeah, well, that, we say on Grillabish. Gr- sorry, Paul. We say this on Grillabish a lot. The, the best feuds are kind of the ones that are more simple. Literally, I want to be better than you, yeah. rather than the the contrived stuff. Because it's just a matter of the better man. And as long as it's told correctly, that's all you need. Less is more. Sometimes it really is. Um, and especially with, with you, the example of the AJ John Cena. All you know, everything they've done together has been gold. And but it's the same argument for Roman Reigns and, and going back to the heel babyface stuff. If you turned him heel now, how? What would you do different? How would you turn that crowd around? It's it's so hard for them and as the same with Cena I thought Cena was more heelish in the Wrestlemania match I and as him and Nikki as a couple to me don't look like the, a couple that I want to be friends with yet they were the baby faces and Miz and Maurice were the heels it, it, it's really hard to, to choose which is which these days mm-hmm. absolutely um, we need to draw this to a close because I want to move on to our brand new feature um, we're going to debut today and I also want to give you the chance to um, plug Gorilla Position a bit and Paul is nipping at my heels wanting to uh, talk a bit more about the Bruce Pritchard show so just just one thing to round this off and we started talking about football right from the start of this the <laughs> Reggie Blinker podcast um, we came in talking about football Ash you're a big Queen's Park Rangers fan correct? Yeah correct so yes who is the uh, who is your who is your rivals who would QPR consider their biggest rivals? Well, traditionally it's Chelsea, although I think you know a lot of fans have got over that. But that's for for argument's sake. Let's say Chelsea. Okay, 
So Chelsea, so you play them from time to time when you're in the Premier League, but also maybe maybe Fulham a little bit. Fulham, well. Brentford, yeah, but right. yeah. Okay, so there's the reasons for them being your rivals are essentially because they're also in West London. Yeah. Not necessarily. So, but I bet you've had seasons where, um, <laughs> not that I'm doing this being self-indulgent, but do you remember 2003, 2004, when Queens Park Rangers came second in what's now League One, and that league was won by Plymouth Argyle. There was a little rivalry there, wasn't there? I remember that very vividly. But it was a pretty cool one because yes. it was basically each team trying to be better than the other one. You were battered us at Loftus Road, but it's three nothing. When it came to the game at Home Park, it happened to be the game that got us promoted. But that was a great rivalry, and I remember all the way through the season it was like nip and tuck who was going to be top of the league. Yeah. And then one of the coolest things ever, and I want to bring this up because you're on the show. One of the coolest things ever, leaving that game having got promoted, won the title all in one day. Bad day for QPR, amazing day for Argyle. We were leaving and we were walking through the, the gorgeous um, Barn Park, Central Park that's around the Argyle ground, and it was lined with QPR fans. And as we walked along, they extended hands, they shook our hands, they congratulated us. I remember there being a sign up in one of the buses saying, you know, congratulations, we'll, we'll join you in the championship or, or whatever it was called then. Total class. I was so impressed with QPR then, and I always have been since. It was a real classy... Um, club, but it was a fun. That was a rivalry. We wanted to prove that we were better than you, and vice versa. Right now, we've got it going on with Portsmouth. There's a real thing with Plymouth and Portsmouth. That Portsmouth are clearly the biggest side in League Two in terms of fan base history. They've won the FA Cup this century, for goodness sake. But they can't beat us. They've had ten games against us in League Two. They've won two. We've won four. There's been four draws. But just lately, they can't beat us. We knocked them out of the playoffs. They couldn't beat us this year. And there's a real little thing between Argyle and Portsmouth, and every time we play, they're great games. And it's my—I I have a much more interest in that as a rivalry than I do Plymouth versus Exeter, for example. Just we only dislike Exeter because they're down the road. I'm not saying I dislike Portsmouth; I actually have a lot of time for them as a football club. But we really want to beat Portsmouth because we want to try and—we want to push ourselves up. And that brings me right back to what we were saying: those wrestling feuds where it's just about—I just want to show that I'm better than you. And they'll be littered with them in history. You know, maybe you want, if you want to bring up a couple of your favourites that you can think of. But to me, that's what a rivalry is like in sport. Paul, I'm sure, you know, I don't know who Grim... Who, who would be Grimsby's rivals, Paul? Is it Scunthorpe? <laughs> oh, man, it's a really tough question, actually, because we've never really spent much time in the last 20 years in the same division as any of our so-called rivals. Yeah, the Scunthorpe, Lincoln are probably the closest to Hull... Um, but again, we've you know while we while we've been in the upper reaches, they've been down at the bottom, um, and now it completely flip flops. And so, yeah, we we it's been really hard to establish a, a bona fide rivalry in in my lifetime as a fan. Actually, actually, I tell you what, a better example. You're a Denver Broncos fan, right? Yes. So I bet because De- they've done well over the last ten years or so. So I bet there's been some seasons where it's been Denver and maybe I don't know New England or yeah. That is that is a better example, probably, from my point of view. There's, there's really a couple of things. The divisional rivals in um, the Raiders, the Chiefs, and the Chargers, specifically the Chiefs and the Raiders, they're, they're really the big rivals that everyone gets worked up about. But that you say in recent years, if you look at the one that's purely based on competition, it's the Patriots. Um, Which are my team, Paul, sorry. <laughs> oh, not, not another one. Purely because not, I'm not a big NFL fan. It was I've, I've been to Boston quite a few occasions. It's more the fact that I love Boston. I took them as my team. I'm not a massive NFL team. Right, but... they, Paul, there you go. 
This is exactly what I'm talking about. I, I have this thing. I quite like NFL, but I can't get into it because I can't support a team. I need yep. a reason. And you've just given me a perfect example there, Ash, is that you've been to Boston because you love Boston. Therefore, I, I assume you, lo- you, love, you love John Cena. Um, <laughs> well, um, to be, you've got a connection with the city. Therefore, you have a connection with the team. See, I don't have that. So I, I can't really dive myself into it. That's that's my personal opinion, but that's that's getting us a bit of an aside. Wait. Anyway, back to back to the point in hand. I'll, I'll throw to you, Ash, because I want to wrap this up and, and get on. But um, do you do you follow what I'm saying in terms of yeah, that kind of yeah. rivalry? So, so are there a couple that stand out to you as, as wrestling well, rivalries? We go back to the attitude era. I mean, the Rock Austin thing was always Perfect. about who who's the better because they were the top two stars in the business. Uh, of course there were shenanigans with them each time they fought at Wrestlemania whether who was heel who was face but at the end of the day it was about who was better the same with Rock Triple H I love the Rock Triple H feud it's one of my favourite yeah, feuds of all time because that was very much like who was better and you knew that there was some spite backstage as well that the fact they wanted to be better on TV right so through 2000 yeah exactly yeah. That just bring it era I like to call it where the Rock was wearing these kind of fake Adidas pants <laughs> to the ring um, <laughs> but, so they would be perfect examples and even going back to your football analogy the Man United Arsenal rivalry of the 90s I mean yeah, that, was, that, like, that yeah. wasn't locality that was about two absolutely brilliant football teams trying to be better than one another so yeah. Ferguson and, just and going, yeah, exactly and just going back to Plymouth I mean I remember the season after as well I think when we were both in the same division and we played at Loftus Road and I think you took the lead and you were singing 1-0 to the champions and then <laughs> I think we went 2-1 up and we were singing 2-1 to the runners up so it, it kind of it went into the next season this kind of friendly rivalry Brilliant. with Plymouth it was, it was good memories terrific I had a memory there of us being 2-0 up and you coming back to draw 2-2 but that might have been the season before anyway this is not the Argyle versus QPR podcast <laughs> may um, have been that game yeah this is, this is wrestling um, fantastic I've loved the hell out of this conversation we could go a long long way into this but uh there's other stuff we need to get through. Um, I did promise you that I'd give you a little bit more time to breathe on a, on a gorilla position plug. So, Paul Benson, you be ready with the uh, all the Bruce Pritchard stuff, which I'm coming to next. But for now, Ash, if people do want to listen to gorilla position, I'm sure that a lot of our listeners, in fact, probably most of them, have already listened to your wares. But just in case they haven't, how do they get about um, listening to the gorilla position? They can listen Wednesday night, TalkSport 2 at 11pm, or if they want the full podcast version, which is basically the same show, but all the bells and whistles, more kind of feature stuff that we do, um, our Hall of Shame, which is quite um, not synonymous with, with Gorilla Position, that is available on all podcast platforms, whether it's iTunes, SoundCloud, whatever, um, and you can follow us at WWE GP as well, so yeah, on Facebook twitter instagram and there's a youtube channel as well with some of our top interviews with a, a plethora of wwe stars fantastic and, and you personally you mentioned earlier on that uh, still doing a bit for wwe kids magazine and also the um the, the football editing you do as well yeah me, you can get me personally i'm at ash rose uk on twitter and yeah I'm, you know, i cover kind of basis on football and wrestling so we're at wwe kids the stuff i do for kick magazine i also do as we mentioned at the top of the show the the 90s podcast as well which is ak 90s and um, we've got a new episode dropping this week where we talk 1993 94 and we have rufus brevett on the phone which is yes it's a qpr connection but excellent um, and, an, and an argyle connection yes i was about to say and an argyle connection yeah. as well it talks very highly of both clubs actually um so yeah check that one out he, uh, he had some unfortunate abuse one day in a game at, uh, at Reading. We played away at Reading, and the Reading fans were chanting, Rufus is a dog's name, at him. 
which and it was, it was oh, then God. It was later reported as a racist incident because they were they were making noises. They weren't. They were they were doing sort of dog noises, which is not quite the same thing. Anyway, it wasn't very ple- wasn't very pleasant. But uh, it was a nice chat with Rufus. He had a um, he didn't have a great time at Argyle necessarily, but he um, was a was a nice chat from all the yeah. I think he's he's a he's a very nice chat. A lot of the players that we have we've had on AK nineties have been a very. I think we get a lot of players that you kind of. Have think, oh god, I haven't heard him for like Steve Chettle, for example. We had oh, a few weeks ago. Fabulous! When... This is killing me. All these names, <laughs> Steve Chettle. Yeah, so yeah, we, I like to get those kind of names that you haven't heard of and see what they're doing now and their memories of the decade and stuff. So yeah, we had. I mean, Mark Crossley was on it once and talking about the penalty that he saved from Alessio. Things like that. Is I'm um, talking too much football now for you, but yeah, it's check out AK nineties. There is a surprising. I found this before, by the way. There's a surprising lack of crossover between football and wrestling. I'm, I have to remind myself every now and again to be a little bit uh, controlled because there are a lot of our listeners now going, don't care about football. Um, <laughs> but uh, the AK of AK90s, of course, stands for Alive and Kicking, doesn't it? And you it does, a, yes. You did a book. Like the advert. You did a book. There's also, you can plug your book as well. Oh, I'll plug the book, yeah, Alive yeah. and Kicking, The Ultimate Guides to 90s Football Nostalgia, which is pretty much, I like to call it a coffee table book. So it's nothing too analytical, but if you like your, your nostalgia, the TV shows, the, the players, the stickers, the adverts, the films, everything that you kind of sums up quintessential 1990s is hopefully all wrapped up in that book. And that's where the podcast spawned from, Alive and Kicking, obviously from that famous Sky advert from the time, which I love to still watch. Well, and you uh, may not you may not know this, but I will I will reveal this at this point. You, in fact, you almost certainly don't. Is that I have bought three copies of that book because I have got, oh, got I have you. one I have one myself, and I have done two as uh, Christmas or birthday presents. So it's, you, uh, I, I was good. You beat me to the punch there, Rob. But I can trump that. I've actually bought five copies of that ah, book. Ah, you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the AK nineties fan club. I love it. Thank you, guys. <laughs> To be no. fair, Ash has only sold ten, and we put eight of yeah. them between ourselves. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that is a good portion of what I've sold. Thank you, fellas. <laughs> that's not true. Let me just say that's not true. I'm sure. Uh, right, Paul, your turn. Pluggage. Um, we are bringing, um, and I don't want to throw this away flippantly because it's such a big deal still. Um, we had Massive a, deal. a conference call earlier on today with, where we spoke to um, to Conrad and to Bruce. We are starting to get. Act together on what the uh, the content of the shows are going to be. Um, it was a really fascinating. We had we were on, on the phone for about 45 minutes talking about all sorts of things going on in the shows, um, all of which we need to keep under wraps a little bit just now because we want to fine tune it before we uh, put it before your good selves. But we are bringing Bruce Pritchard from the Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard podcast, um, a legitimate three, four, five hundred thousand downloads per show they are doing right now that's more than most wrestling companies do in their own countries apart from wwe um it's a huge industry and we're so happy to be bringing them over because it's the most fascinating insight into wrestling you can possibly get so if you're not yet listening to something to wrestle with you absolutely should be so you make it hooked on hooked on podcast one something to wrestle with two gorilla position three that will sort you no other other wrestling podcast needed um, no, nothing but Bruce will be coming over in July. Paul is now going to tell you the venues, the dates, and how you can get tickets to come and see our exclusive UK version of Something to Wrestle with, Bruce Pritchard. I will indeed. Rob, we've got three dates across England um, in July. We're going to kick off the tour in Birmingham at the Around the World Bar, and that's on Sunday, July the 16th. Um, from there, we're going to move on to Manchester on the 17th. That's the Monday night at the Comedy Store there, uh, uh, Deansgate Locks. And then we're going to f- close the show, and I hope Ash can come and join us on in London at uh, Walkabout Temple, our usual haunt for our pay-per-view parties. That's Tuesday, 
the uh, 18th of July. Um, so it's going to be, as, as it stands, a three-day tour. And like Rob said, we'll be talking to Bruce and Comrade today. Really, really great conversation, starting to hammer down on what these shows are going to look like. I think it's safe to say that um, people won't be disappointed with the format. We're going to keep it as close as possible to the actual podcast themselves, just as informative, just as entertaining. You know, everything that you love about those podcasts is going to be present and correct. Um, and we're going to throw Rob in there as well. Um, mm -hmm. Rob is, in fact, going to be trained up by Conrad and he's already starting to uh, get some info from him. He's going to be doing Roll all the time. research on Rob's behalf. Rumours and innuendo. It's going to be, you know, he's going to be very, very um, involved, his Conrad, in the direction of the show. Um, and top the topics we've been talking about today, I think we're all on the same page. That, uh, and I don't mind revealing this that we're go we're going to go for a very much a UK focus with yeah. all the topics. I think it's going to be stuff that we've not heard before on the show, and therefore probably most of us will be a lot of stuff that we've not heard on there. Full stop. Um, it's going to be a different main topic for every show. So hell, if you're a real fan, you could even join us for a couple of different nights. Um, I think we asked some people on Facebook about what they'd like to see um, and I think certainly some of the suggestions that have been made on there are, are things we're going to pick up and, and go with we will reveal those topics a bit close to the time but yeah I think we're, we're really excited now tickets are still starting to fly we've got a lot of capacity so I wouldn't lie and say we're close to selling out yet we're not um, but we're well ahead of where I want it to be at this stage um, very very limited amounts of platinum VIPs left if you want the full kit and caboodle package then you want to get on that quickly um, there's some there's quite a few VIPs left and plenty of general admissions so get involved get your tickets in um, you can get those from hookedonevents.co.uk our own website or you can go to one of our uh, fantastic partner ticket sites with uh, ringsideworld.co.uk and wegottickets.com um, if you want more information on any of the dates on the tour itself or anything else that we're doing you can uh, check us out on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash HO Wrestling or on Twitter at HO underscore wrestling. Or if you're one of our more uh, youth inclined viewers, uh, listeners, sorry, you can get us on Instagram at hooked underscore on underscore wrestling. Also, you've chucked an extra one in there. See, I never throw to you for Instagram. What about yeah. Snapchat? Are you guys not on Snapchat? Oh, We're not. Look, you know, <laughs> see, We're you not We've just got onto Instagram, man. Don't make us. Uh... Don't, I don't understand Snapchat. I'm no. the full. I'm, that is when I realised I was old. I don't understand it. Yeah, we, we, are, we are men in our thirties. We don't understand Snapchat. That's, uh, no. That's not. Uh, that's not. Shouldn't be a guilty uh, thing. That's just the way it goes. Um, uh, Paul, the um, the fact that um, we have three different places to uh, buy the tickets. I just want to say, first of all, um, buy them from HookedOnEvents.co.uk. Because um, not only is that our website, and there's some other good little things um, going on, on that website which you can see. Uh, your second choice should be ringsideworld.co.uk, and your third choice should be We Got Tickets. Because um, quite frankly, um, they're a the nice site though it is, and good friends though they are. Um, their syntax is appalling. Um, and and uh, <laughs> until until they change their name to We Have Tickets, um, then uh, I'm, I'm frankly not going to use them. I, I spend half my life trying to sub-edit things. We Got Tickets is um, is the worst um, worst. It's the worst influence since um, since you've been gone by Rainbow, so I'm not uh, not happy with them at all. Um, but generally speaking, <laughs> what am I talking about? Generally speaking, um, we really want you to come along. We're going to have a blast. Um, we talked about the uh, the shows on the um, conference call today, and we absolutely said, you know what, we could do them today. 
you know we're we're so fired up for the um the subjects we're we're learning stuff you know Bruce knows the stuff from the era we could do it right now but even better we've got three months still to brew everything to get it just right so I guarantee you the shows are going to be absolutely special because Bruce is just a riot to listen to um he's bringing all of his many many voices with him are you, have uh, you been practicing my baby tonight have you been doing that are we going to get you we, singing that Rob do you know what mate I, t- I, I could have done that when I was 13 <laughs> and I can still do it now when I'm 33 spend my time no no don't, don't, don't waste <laughs> it but no I've, I've been known on a little bit of the old karaoke to blast that one out so it's um, I can do it but no one wants to hear me do it they want to hear Bruce do it they want so, Bruce uh, do it definitely so um, we will, uh, we will see it. if we can <laughs> we will see if we... I love you for that we will see if we can uh, encourage him to, uh, to do that as we go right to finish this podcast um, this is a brand new feature which we've been looking forward to uh, debuting for a couple of weeks now. We are calling it The Best of Times, The Worst of Times. This is probably the only wrestling podcast ever that's had a feature based on the opening line of the Charles Dickens novel The Tale of Two Cities. I can almost guarantee you that. The Best of Times, The Worst of Times. What we are going to do, if you liked our um, WrestleMania mixtape concept, we are essentially taking it away from the pay-per-view of Wrestlemania and bringing it into individual wrestlers here's how it's going to work and Ash listen up because you're our judge for today yep, I'm listening. Very, very important for you um, what we are going to do we are going to talk about a specific wrestler or team every week uh, here on the podcast we're going to have a bit of a chat about their career what we all thought of them and um, where they stand in our you know favorite ever that kind of thing um, and then what we're going to do if you listen to the Wrestlemania mixtape Paul would suggest a match, I would suggest a match, and then our guest would pick what was the match from that particular WrestleMania that would go on to our fictional mixtape. Now what we're going to do this time is we are going to put one match from every wrestler onto, um, let's call it a scrapbook this time, we're going to onto this fictional scrapbook that we can have for this wrestler that will demonstrate them forever. Today we are going to be talking about, it's very fitting since it's the the, the, um, the the section is called the best of times, the worst of times. But we are talking about their best there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be. We had a poll on our social media who you would like us to talk about. We are going to talk today about Brett the Hitman Hart. The main topic is going to be what is Brett's best match ever. Paul is going to put a suggestion forward. I'm going to put a suggestion forward. And then Ash is going to choose which of our suggestions is going to go through. But we'll have a chat about some other matches. And the reason that the worst of times is in our description is we want to just have a little chat about some of those moments where it didn't go the best for our selected wrestler at that time. So we will have a bit of a chat around all of those things. Um, But first of all, I want to say that I'm so excited that Brett was the one chosen by uh, the uh, couple of hundred people on our social media because... um, Brett's, as many people know that have listened to this and listened to my other podcast, my favourite wrestler of all time. So I will try and hold back a little bit because everyone knows my um, theory um, and my love for, for Brett the Hitman Hart. But um, uh, Paul, do you want to go first in, in that in the spirit of everything? Would you like to go first in, in producing a Bret Hart match? Absolutely not, as you're a fan and because I went first ultimate in the WrestleMania mixtape, the floor is yours, Rob. Okay, mate, I'm going to start with, I don't think this is going to shock anyone. Because um, I think this is one of the greatest matches of all time, period, let alone just Bretts. But um, I'm going to choose the WrestleMania 13 match between Bret Hart and Stone Cold Steve Austin. Um, we talked about it when we covered that WrestleMania on the podcast, but um, it's an absolute masterpiece. Um, you could have never seen those two wrestlers before, and you would come out caring about them. 
Um, the fact that you went into the match with Brett as the hero and Austin as the, the villain and it was switched around by the end, that's actually a bit simplistic. As the, the story was being told, gradually Brett was getting more and more of a whiner and Austin was getting more and more of a, um, a character that you could identify with. So this match just happened to be the, the moment where they switched over. The pair of them are absolutely majestic storytellers. My favourite thing about Brett in his entire career were the stories that he could tell with almost anybody in the ring. Um, but Brett Hand picked Stone Cold. Um, in the storyline, Stone Cold was calling out Brett Hart, but in real life, Brett said, I want to work with this guy. Um, even when Austin was in WCW, Brett was known to be saying, you know, get him over here and get him working with me. Um, Brett made Stone Cold, as far as I'm concerned. Austin would have made himself anyway. He's good enough, he's the best. Um, at what he did um, but had it not been for Brett I'm not sure he'd have got there quite so quickly and then who knows what would have happened in terms of the Attitude Era etc. Brett was the facilitator um, although Austin absolutely deserves a credit on his uh, on his own for what he became. So this match is just as a standalone brawl um, for the technical side of things, um, for the psychology of the submission match is perfect and then you can look at the wider aspect of what it did for the industry so um, without a doubt my favourite Brett match and I could list you a top 25 quite quickly I suspect but my favourite one I'm going for Brett versus Steve Austin full of asshole awesome choice you know I'm fully in agreement that that's one of the greatest matches of all time um, I'll, I'll preface this by saying I, I wasn't I, I, no I'll say it again I'm a big Brett Hart fan I'm not the biggest Brett Hart fan I thought he was excellent uh, but there's quite a few guys I would put ahead of him Having said that, um, he's responsible for two of my favourite matches of all time. One you've already mentioned, and one the one I'm going to pick, which I there's an argument to say is my favourite match of all time. Um, and that match is probably no surprise to you guys either. Is Bret Hart versus the British Bulldog um, from Wembley Stadium, um, SummerSlam 1992? In my eyes. Um, take away all the bells and whistles of, um, of special referees and special stipulations I, I think this is the greatest match without any sort of gimmicks there has ever been um, you know in front of a crowd that was absolutely rabid for both guys you know I was there on the day Ash you were too that crowd was so unique it was unique in the fact that Although everybody wanted the Bulldog to win, a great proportion of them also wanted Bret Hart to win. So there was this amazing atmosphere of, of, yeah, we want so we want this guy to win, but Christ, we want this guy to win as well, and we're so confused. And basically, it led to an atmosphere of 90,000 fans cheering absolutely everything in the match. Um, the storyline leading up to it was sensational. Um, Bret Hart was obviously the fighting Intercontinental Champion, working his way up the ladder. Um, He'd beaten Mr. Perfect for his first title in 91 in one of the greatest matches. You could, we, either of us could have easily had that match on the list. He beat, he beat Roddy Piper um, for his second title just a few months earlier in what is, I would argue, the most underrated WrestleMania match of all time. And now he comes into SummerSlam, an absolute hero, um, has the whole family feud thing with a British Bulldog. And by the way, those two sold out that stadium. Um, it wasn't the WWF brand at the time that, that it would do nowadays be the selling the tickets it was Bret Hart and the British Bulldog for the Intercontinental title come match time and you've got an absolutely sensational match was it about 27 minutes of just 
just just science, just absolute science in the ring. And I think it's been pretty well documented, not least by Brett himself, that he was the architect of that entire match. You know, the Bulldog was a very, very good worker on his day, uh, not Brett's level and certainly not on this day when I think the, the nerves and a, and a concussion or whatever got the better of him. Brett Hart crafted that match. And to me, I, I'm, I was 10 years old at the time and I was so taken aback by the emotion of the match that I actually passed out. Um, <laughs> really? The end of it. Yeah, 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 really. I, to this day, you know, I, it was in my mind's eye, when I watched that match live in the stadium, Bulldog hits the running power slam, nails Brett, one, two, three, the match is over, he wins the title. It wasn't until a couple of months later when I watched it back on VHS that I realised he kicked out of the running power slam and the match went on for another couple of minutes. I spoke to my dad about it. I was just a gibbering wreck. I was out. I passed out at the running power slam, and I didn't fully recover until the finish. Um, so, That's to me, amazing. you know, it's it's there's a there's a lot of emotion in this match for me as well as the reason I'm picking it. It was my parents' divorce when I was um, eight years old, um, and my dad was always present. He was never not there. But we didn't. We only saw each other every other weekend. We didn't have the closest relationship. He took me to SummerSlam, just me and him, and it was what cemented the bond between me and my dad for forever and ever. So again, this this match has an ultra personal meaning to me. But you know, that aside, I think it's one of the absolute greatest matches of all time. I could not possibly um, fault if Ash picked some, uh, WrestleMania 13, but if it was my choice, I'd be going with SummerSlam every day of the week. This is a very different feeling to the WrestleMania mixtape where there was a little bit of a, a rivalry between me and you, Paul, and it was like we wanted to get our own one on. This is a kind of... Yeah, I don't really mind either because I love that match to pieces. Um, and I love Brett to pieces, and the fact that I've got got to work with him is um, is, is special. Um, I might come on to a little bit of that in a, in a second, but... Um, uh, Ash, well, you can you can have a few minutes to think about it because we're going to talk some other Brett things before you. Have well, to it's like Sophie's choice. Make a decision <laughs> in a good way, though. In a good way. Oh, in a good way, a much better way. Um, I would say that um, uh, again, bringing it back to football slightly. Um, you'd have interviewed a lot of footballers, um, Ash, and, and got to know their opinions on the game. There are certain players that I would say are footballers, footballers that fans yeah. might fans would know are good, but footballers would really know. One of those one of those would be Alan Shearer. Yeah, um, Teddy Sherring. Teddy Sherring, a great example. Um, I've interviewed a lot of footballers in, in my day job, and I've often done a question in the match day program interviews or something, and said, "You can have a chat show, and you can invite anyone in the world on your chat show. Who would be your guests?" And I would say 80% of the footballers I ask that question, the first first name they say is David Beckham. David Beckham is a footballer's footballer. They mm. love him, they respect him, they look up to him. Bret Hart is a wrestler's wrestler. There are so few. No, you can talk talk about his attitude and about how serious he takes himself and various other things that people may have a, use to have a dig about Brett. We're not talking about that, but I'm saying that you can have everyone from you know Shawn Michaels now. You know they might have had their fallings out, but Shawn would recognise that Brett's his best opponent. Um, Kurt Angle, I've interviewed Kurt, and he said how his one of his biggest regrets is he didn't wrestle in the same era as Brett. Kurt thinks Brett's one of the best of all time. Austin recognises his um, abilities. Um, I've heard people, old, even older timers like Harley Race, have talked about how good they thought Bret Hart was. Um, and you'd have people that are in the modern era that have come along since, like Chris Jericho, like Edge, like Sami Zayn, like CM Punk, Daniel Bryan. All of these wrestlers have cited Bret Hart as one of their main influences. Wrestlers get Bret Hart, and they get just how good he was. 
I'll always maintain he's my favourite. I'm never saying he's the best because that's a different opinion. But he was my favourite because to me he was a character you believed in. Everything you watched to me felt real. It felt logical. Um, I was always so engaged in his matches and to have worked with him has been very cool. And I would say that um, when I was doing the... Uh, when we did the London Wrestling Convention a couple of summers ago, um, and Brett was part of that, and we had, you know, a couple of other dozen, couple of dozen other wrestlers involved, and man, did they love Brett! And it was great seeing, you know, the Nasty Boys and Typhoon and Demolition and, you know, whoever else we had, how they greeted Brett Hart, the Mountie to Tonka, you know, he was their hero, not just mine and not just the fans that they loved him. He was their leader. And I, I, listen, I got on terrific with Shawn Michaels, but Shawn kept himself to himself during that weekend, whereas the boys were so excited to see Brett and vice versa. He's a real wrestler's wrestler, and as big a compliment I think as you can give him is that the boys will all look up to him. The, the King of the Ring that he won, um, he wrestled three different opponents with three totally different matches, and Brett could do that, and I'm not sure all that many wrestlers have been able to do that. Do you know who can do that? John Cena. He's not as good a wrestler as Bret Hart, but John Cena can adapt to different wrestlers. It takes a hell of a performer to be able to do that. Not everyone can, um, but Bret could. And I will always fight his corner when it comes to, you know, how good he was. Um, you know, obviously part of the reason for this little segment is to be you know, talk about what we think of the people. So I've obviously pushed my agenda there a little bit. Ash, is, how does Brett rate for you? Obviously, we're, we've talked about the fact that we're similar ages. We'd have grown up in that era mm. where Brett was a champion. Does it does it resonate with you? Oh, it, I don't think it can, it cannot if, you, if you're from around here. I admit I'm not the biggest Brett fan, but you can't not be a Brett fan from that era because he was just such a big part of it. He's the excellence of execution for Christ. And do you know what? I was actually a, a massive Heart Foundation fan. That's that's my first big memory and one of my probably my favourite tag match of all time is the SummerSlam 90 two out of three falls with the Heart Foundation and Demolition. Masterclass of a tag team match. Everything you want from it is in that. And Brett stands out he stood out all his career there's so many matches that you could just reel off like you said you could do a top 25 so quickly and, and it, do you know what's really interesting because especially the start of Brett's career he was never the biggest talker he was never the greatest promo guy that got better later in the decade but he didn't need to be everything every story Brett Hart told was in the ring my favourite Brett match which you, which Paul mentioned there is the Mr Perfect match at SummerSlam that is probably my favourite match of all time just because of the story those guys told in the ring I absolutely adore Kurt Hennig he is in my Mount Rushmore of wrestling I think he's so underrated still should have been world champion in the WWE mm-hmm. but Brett Hart played his absolute part in that match as well and it's, there's just realms of matches that you could say with Brett the feud with Stone Cold the feud with Stone Cold was one that that was around the time I was kind of there's always a time when you, when something else takes a front seat in your life and whether it was yeah, football girls. and during that I kind of was I kind of missed a, a little bit of of the Brett Stone Cold feud so when I went back and watched it I couldn't believe how brilliant it was and and so just to see how much he became you know we all know about the Montreal school job and what happened after that and the stuff in WCW which I'm sure we'll talk about in a minute but no Bret Hart very much he is synonymous with that an icon of that era an icon of the business someone who yeah the best there is the best there was the best there ever will be Paul some um, other matches that you could have um, you could have chosen if it, if it wasn't for uh, the Bulldog match you know, uh, you could go up and down the eras um, for Bret Hart matches to pick. Um, what's so great about Bret is when you talk about the best of anything in wrestling, um, Bret's in the conversation. 
Mm. Um, obviously, best 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 wrestler of all time, best match of all time, best feud of all time with the Austin feud, best stable of all time with the Hart Foundation. I they would get my vote actually as best best stable of all time, best tag team of all time with the Hart Foundation. You could make an argument for those guys as well. I just think he is, you know, it's a catchphrase. Obviously, the best there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be. You can't really argue. Um, there's a, there's a really strong case to say he's absolutely right. Um, you know, some of the things that I, you know, Brett's obviously done a lot of stuff that's been really well documented. We've we've touched on a lot of it already. Um, there's some some of the other things that I'm sort of want to talk about. Maybe some of the lesser known. Uh, bits of brilliance from Brett. The one that springs to my mind is um, Survivor Series 95 um, when he had an amazing match with Diesel in the main event, which was really the maybe the first Attitude Era match with Brett going through the table um, and Diesel sort of turning heel afterwards. I thought that was absolutely magnificent. Um, and then one thing that I always like about Brett, um, not so much for the match quality, but for the for the sheer sort of fan appreciation of it but do you know remember when he won the title for the first time from Ric Flair in 1992 mm-hmm. um, and he won it off off TV he won it on a house show in Saskatoon in, in Saskatoon <laughs> Canada on Canadian Thanksgiving um, but that period between that and dropping the title to Yokozuna some of the, the varied matches he had that were slight you know they weren't with main event level opponents but he gave so many guys Opportunities, both in that run and later in his career. You know, Papa Shango um, got a great match there with Bret Hart. Um, a bit later on, the one-two-three kid on Raw with a phenomenal face versus face match. We have to talk um, about um, that in, in a bit more detail. I'll stop you there because that was just such a. That was, was that a, the title match? Was that the yeah? Yeah, the it, was, match. Yeah, 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 it yeah. was quite an, quite an early Raw. It was within the first year, I think, of Raw, and it was just, it was so good. It was just. Um, that was put, almost unheard of to do babyface matches on pay-per-views, let alone to do them on, on TV. And, you know, one, two, three kid had had the upset wins over Razor Ramon and Ted DiBiase and it became a character of his own. But I think I think that was when he that's when he came of age, I think. I think when he had that match with Brett. And there were, Brett was a genius in, in being able to give you near falls. I mean, realistically, what's the chances of one, two, three kid beating Brett Hart on Raw to win the title? But Brett had you believing it. And it's like, I, think, I think that made Sean Mormon. I, I completely agree and he did that for so many guys you know some of the other guys in the mid 90s that he faced um, when he took on Jean-Pierre Lafitte uh, yeah. our house great Jean-Pierre match Jean-Pierre Lafitte yeah. uh, brilliant <laughs> match the Reggie Blinker of wrestling uh, there you go Hakushi um, Doink the Clown at SummerSlam 93 mm. and another fun that's match. a really good match by the way Before brilliant match the feud he had with Lawler in 93 there's just I, I could literally reel it off all night. There's so much excellence. And then the heel character he had in 97, obviously, when he... Um, oh, and that's another match. SummerSlam 97 against Taker. Mm-hmm. When they had that stipulation about him not being able to wrestle in the US again. I think it was, if if, if he lost. Yep. Just just amazing. You know, for up, he, he did everything he should have done as a professional wrestler. He carried main events. He made younger wrestlers. He gave people opportunities. He made, had fantastic matches. He he did it all. Um, 
and stuff with you know, um, Sting as well. I mean, I know his WCW days aren't as as glorious as WWE, but his stuff with Sting was probably the only thing in WCW that was really good. That feud they had over, I think it was the US title and the you know the Scorpion Deathlock and and the Sharpshooter. That was great, great both of them. Because I'm a massive Sting fan as well, so that I remember that feud really fondly. Well, Absolutely brilliant, think, as, isn't it? Yeah. As was his match, the Owen Hart tribute match with Benoit. Yeah, Benoit. Benoit yeah. Nitro. Um, yeah, yeah. Answer your question, Rob. Sorry, I gave you a very long answer for a very simple question. No, I loved it. But there is just endless, endless stuff. The fact that you oh. can give such a long answer. Go on, there's another one there. One of, I had in my head, and I forgot to mention. Um, demolition against the Heart Foundation at SummerSlam 1992 out of three falls. Yeah, Ash just mentioned it just a little while yeah. ago. Yeah, it's, it's, oh, it's, sorry, Ash, I yeah. missed that. Sorry. No, yeah, absolutely. It's um, it factors in all the stuff with. The original Heart Foundation, and not even, let's not forget the later stuff because, you know, Calgary Stampede, what a totally, oh, yeah. Yeah. totally yeah. unique event. Um, obviously Brett led, but not just Brett that was involved, but that was you know just a unique crowd and environment that will never be re- replicated. You, you can't, and neither should you try. Um, we've not even talked about his match with Owen at WrestleMania 10. Of course, yeah. Um, which was just you know <laughs> just out, just so different. You know, we talked about it obviously when we were doing the WrestleMania mixtape, but um, that was just so different in what they attempted to do there and how that that carried the, the company through um, through the summer. Very interesting if you listen to the um, the Owen Hart podcast that Bruce Pritchard and, and Conrad Thompson did just recently, which talks about how Brett and Owen did an incredible house show business at the start of that run and then not so good towards the end of it. People obviously had their fill after a certain point, but um, I think to me. Uh, you, you've mentioned already the um, the Mr. Perfect match from 1991. I've mentioned many times that that's the first pay-per-view I ever saw. And I remember watching that pay-per-view. And in the same way, Paul, that you talked about your kids, um, your nephews you know, were drawn to John Cena, having seen that one show. I watched that show as a seven-year-old and I came away as a Bret Hart fan. It's weird because it was Mr. Perfect for me and I'm not a kind of, I don't really go for heels. I'm not that sort of kind of, even as a young age, I wasn't that fan. There was just something about Kurt Hennig and that I loved the Mr. Perfect character and then what he did later in WCW as well. I just loved Kurt Hennig and that one of that, that match is one of the response, that and the, the Texas Tornado feud randomly from a year earlier as well. <laughs> I have to say, I don't really uh, recall that one specifically, but um, certainly that match was one that, that got me, you know, I was a Bret Hart fan literally from day one. You know, it's not like someone that came along anyway in, in between my wrestling watching. Within 24 hours of my first ever wrestling show, I was a Bret Hart guy, and that was in 1991. And 26 years later, I, I will still say the same thing. And um, I've mentioned already that I've, I've got to work with him with PSI events. I've hosted some shows um, where Bret's come over. And uh, we had a blast, and we, we got on very well. I can recall sitting in Glasgow, Paul, and... You mentioned about that um, Diesel match at Survivor Series. I swear, me and Brett talked about that match for about 45 minutes straight over dinner. Just me oh, and him, me and him in a room on our own with a steak, talking about that one match in particular. And I, I remember even going on stage that night in Glasgow and said, "As good a show as you're going to get tonight, it wasn't as good as me and Brett for 45 minutes to an hour in a conference room in this hotel, talking about that that match because." You know, he's engaging on that sort of level, is Brett, and um, I loved working with him, and, you know, a couple of days after that, we were in Manchester at the Comedy Store, and we'd done quite a lengthy Q&A, and we'd extended it, and we'd taken the, the audience in all sorts of different places that night, and it was very emotional, there was two or three times where 
because of his stroke, Brett gets very choked up about things um, when he's talking about Owen and, and other things. And um, once or twice, I didn't know whether or not to step in because he was clearly getting very emotional. And I remember on stage putting my arm around him and saying, "Are you okay?" And he said, "No, I'm fine. Let me finish." And so there was a long pause, and the crowd were amazing. They cheered and they g'd him up and like telling him they were on his side. And you know, he told some Owen stories and he lightened the mood and. But it was very, very emotional on both ends of the scale, and um, so we t we took the audience all sorts of places with stories about different eras, and I remember going, you know, doing the right thing, which is to you know hand the stage over, and I disappeared through the curtain and and waited for Brett to come back through as I always did, and shook his hand when he came through and said thank you, and Brett Hart looked me in the eye and said, "You're great," and it's one of the greatest moments of my entire life was to have my hero on a. TV, you know, level and on a real life level, you know, shake my hand and look me in the eye and tell me you thought I was great. And, you know, I don't know how, I, <laughs> I'm nearly crying now talking about it, I don't know how I didn't at the time. Um, but, you know, they say don't meet your heroes, but what a load of nonsense that is in terms yeah. of my experience, because Bret Hart is a wonderful guy, as well as being an incredible wrestler and great hero and, and all that kind of stuff and <laughs> what I don't like about the tone of this is it's almost like it's a tribute <laughs> Brett is very much still with us and he's fought off all sorts of adversities With his, he's got better and better every time I've met him over the years he's looked better and better getting over his stroke he beat cancer last year um, Brett's a hell of a guy as well as being a hell of a hero um, we are obliged by the nature of this segment to talk about some of the lesser stuff before we come roaring back with um, Ash's choice is the um, the best match, so I feel that um, I thought the most the, the poorest Brett stuff was I think it was I'm trying to work out what year I think it would have been during 1996 they sort of lost their way with Brett a bit and he had to you know they reignited the Lawler feud and it didn't really hit off and they did the kiss my foot stuff and then there was the Isaac Yankum match I think it was at SummerSlam that was all a bit poor and I never thought them what WrestleMania was it WrestleMania 12 where he had to wrestle Backland in an I Quit match and that Backlund was eleven. That was eleven. Eleven. That was ninety-five. So Backland couldn't say I quit properly, and Piper was a terrible referee. And it was like, to me, there were some of his more down points. Um, but uh, like I said, with this segment, we're not necessarily talking about the a terrible match. We're talking about some of the moments that were lower in his career. And I've always thought that Shawn Michaels and Undertaker, you know, genuinely deserved their WrestleMania. Um, you know captions but you know Brett would have been a pretty decent candidate for a Mr. Wrestlemania except for the, the clunker that he had with Bob Backlund which I feel well, really think kind of spoils his resume I think I, I, it's funny you should say that actually because you know racking my brains earlier trying to think of bad Bret Hart matches and bad Bret Hart moments they're just so few and far between that it's hard to hard to really give any but I think actually the three that stand out for me were all at Wrestlemania uh, in actual fact there's the one you mentioned at Wrestlemania 11 um, there's the obvious one at Wrestlemania 26 against Vince you know yeah, I know we I, talked I, about I that I sort of choose the... not to include that in my uh, mind I think it was, it was yeah well, I've which... forgotten about that on purpose <laughs> Uh, you've got to include it because you know it, yeah, it was so. just it was one of these it was it was Bret Hart it could have been better than it was it was really poor but you're right it wasn't Bret as a worker it was a great story it, by the way the it was a terrific brilliant, story they should have had Bret just beat him up in three minutes and, and have Vince tap out to the sharpshoot that's which, what they which is why it was so disappointing yeah. because the Hart family went, went on far too long Vince went babyface by the end of it um 
But to me, probably the biggest disappointment in his career, um, and I'm probably going to get some flack for this off you guys and others, is um, is the Iron Man match at WrestleMania 12. Um, to this day, I'm just really, really not a fan. I think it dragged a bit too much. It, it lost me very early on in the match. Um, and to me, that's probably you know, not certainly not the worst match um, Brett's had, but probably the most disappointing compared to how phenomenal it could have been. I think it's very overrated. I think it's one of those ones that people just because it lasted an hour and it was a Broadway and and it's Sean's so, moment, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I think the moment at the end kind of overshadows it, especially if you're a Sean fan. You know, the boyhood dream has yeah. come true. All of that, you know, is good storytelling. But yeah, I think it lasted. I think it's one of those matches that if you'd have gone in just saying this is a match and no time limit, and it had gone to say 45 minutes, then you would talk about it as being one of the best ever because the, you know, the the concept would be this is one a one four match, and you'd have gone on and on and on. We all, often talk about the um, the John Cena versus Shawn Michaels match that they had in London um, on your birthday, Paul, at Earl's Court. Um, mm. I remember being around backstage, not backstage, but I remember being around at that show, and f- the buzz was sh- um, Cena and Michaels are having an Iron Man match tonight. And my colleague Simon Rothstein interviewed John Cena and said, "You're having an Iron Man match tonight." And John Cena went, "No, I'm not." Well, actually, the match then went. It went about 50 minutes, but by the time you put advert breaks in 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 America, it went an hour. And so obviously, someone had found out that the booking was that the match is going to go an hour. And actually, that's a far better match because you're waiting for the finish, waiting for the finish, and you're sucked in, and oh my god, it's still going, and you've got that intrigue. Whereas actually, an Iron Man match, you know, you're set for the hour. Yeah. And the fact that there were no, you know, I, I still think that the best Iron Man match ever is is the Lesnar and Undertaker one. Um, and, and, Lesnar, I, I, and I, Lesnar and Angle. Lesnar and Angle, sorry. Yeah. yeah. So I was, I was thinking of an Undertaker. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 Lesnar, <laughs> quite right, Lesnar and Angle. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I like the Rock and Triple H one as well, by the way, from from SummerSlam 2000. But, yes, it's a um, great one. I uh, I really love that Brock and Angle one because they do trade falls, and that's logical. That would happen over that period of time. The Brett and Sean one did feel like it was a, it was a little bit like, again, to push the football analogy, they played for a nil nil. Yeah. And it's like can... you can have good nil nils. I, I quote you: Italy versus West, oh, Italy versus Germany in the uh, semi-finals of European Championships, but. Um, most of the time, nil nils are trying are not nil-nils. to lose. They're trying yeah. not to lose rather than trying to win. And and Shawn Michaels uh, got the golden goal. That's a kid. There you go. There like, you go. Shawn Michaels was Oliver Bierhoff. Yeah, <laughs> back to the nineties always. See? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, unless anyone wants to bring up a another. Sort the of only neg- thing, well, I mean, the only. The only stuff I would mention is because I'm quite well known for no, liking the, the back end of WCW and all the terrible stuff that they did then. But Brett was part of that NWO 2000. I don't yeah. know if you, you guys oh remember God. that, which yeah, was yeah. absolutely terrible with Jeff Jarrett and Hall and Nash. Uh, and he had some matches with Goldberg there, which I mean, it's it's hard to get a very, very good match out of Goldberg anyway. But those matches and that whole feud, Brett didn't look like he was interested at that time anyway. It looked like he kind of he knew it was kind of as bad as it was. You know, you don't rehash and rehash and rehash a great idea like they did with the NWO and the the, the silver NWO at that point weren't they I think that was the colours but yeah, yeah that was that was, it. that was a really bad I mean there wasn't there was there wasn't much good in Brett's WCW run that's no it's more to do with the booking of that company more than Brett really but that was particularly bad at that point yeah most definitely I, I have a, a tendency like I said about the, the Brett and 
Vince WrestleMania 26 match have a tendency to almost forget that he was in WCW, despite the fact that's a huge part of his story, Montreal and moving on and whatever. Mm. But WCW was such a, a mess by then. And, you know, the idea that they waited so long to debut him. And when he debuted, his debut in WCW was as a referee in Eric Bischoff versus Larry Zabisco. Think about that. Think about the hottest property in the history of pro wrestling. And you debut him in a match between a 40-year-old and a 60-year-old for some sort of spurious control of something. Goodness me. If that doesn't sum up WCW, then apart from David Arquette, which is actually to on this day's where however long ago, is then that is yeah, I think what twenty seventeen years ago was it? I think yeah. It'd be about that, yeah, It'd be something like that. Goodness me, um, right? It's the moment of truth. We've um, oh. we've arrogated quite a lot, so it means that yeah. uh, now Ash, you have to make a choice. You have to make two choices because one of your choices is going to be which Bret Hart match we put in yeah. our fictional scrapbook, and then you're going to choose what's our topic for next time. But uh, first of all, which of the two Bret Hart matches are you going to choose? You have Bret versus Davy Boy Smith, SummerSlam 1992 from Wembley Stadium, Bret versus Stone Cold Steve Austin, WrestleMania 13 from Chicago, the submission match. It's a hell of a choice. It is well, a hell of a choice. I was going to say I don't envy you, but actually, well, I picked mine, didn't I, earlier on? That's the whole point. So, um, but it is, a, it is a tough choice. What are you going to go with, sir? It's a very much heart and head, this one. I think Paul's done well there. He's, he's appealed to my nostalgic side, which is usually the side that I, that I lay down on, because I was there at SummerSlam 92. I have great memories of that main event, really, really into it. When I watch it back, it, it tingles. Whereas, you know, looking at it as a head point of view, I've gone back and watched Bret Austin so many times just because what it's done for the industry and how, you know, the tweak in characters happened in that. And I think if I was putting a gun to my head, I think I would have to go that WrestleMania match just because for what it did for both characters, it was, you could kind of argue it really was the kick on for, for the Attitude Era, that image of, of Stone Cold in the sharpshooter and the blood rushing down his face. I mean, it's one of the most iconic images in, in wrestling ever. And so I think, begrudgingly, because I love both matches, I think I'd have to just shade it with that one for Rob. Well, I'm on the board, Paul. This is different from the WrestleMania mixtape already, where I had to wait uh, a long time before uh, notching. But uh, Ash has gone with my pick, Brett versus Steve, Stone Cold Steve Austin from WrestleMania 13. It is a hell of a choice. The fact that we've talked about so many unbelievable matches that you know we didn't even have in our top two or three um, says so much about Bret Hart. I would say that um, one of the I would say a legacy of Bret Hart would be I would suggest there's a hell of a lot of wrestlers that would say their best match was against Bret Hart. And we talked about Diesel and you know various others, but that says about all you can for you know such a great talent. We put Bret versus Stone Cold in as the first entrant into our new the best of times uh, segment uh, so that will go down what it means is when we talk about Stone Cold Steve Austin that might be very soon it might be years away but whenever we talk about Stone Cold in this segment uh, we will not be able to choose Brett versus Stone Cold as the Stone Cold um, match we will have to pick a different match when Stone Cold goes in that's the only other stipulation uh, about that but uh, so that match is now put in to the scrapbook and we will move on to someone else next week. And now we haven't asked you for this ahead of time. You're going to surprise us with this. What we've said, the criteria that we're looking for, uh, for everyone that's going to come on as a judge, uh, we want them to um, offer up someone that is going to be, um, we're talking basically world champion material or hall of fame material. That's the broad um, spectrum that we're looking at. Of course, 
we bring in your intercontinental champions, US champions as well. Um, so those that haven't had a world title, such as your Kurt Hennig's, um, Ted DiBiase's, that sort of level, we'd be happy to discuss. Tag teams too, some of the greatest tag teams ever. If they've been a world tag team champion, then we're happy to discuss them. This is not just let's take the greatest wrestlers ever and discuss their matches. We want to go all across the spectrum, even if they were just shot to the top. Slightly fortuitously, we'll still talk about their best of times and their worst of times. Ash, it is up to you next week when we discuss uh, various wrestling matters here on the Hooked On podcast. We will be talking about someone else's best of times and worst of times. Who do you decree that we should talk about? Well, before I do, if you ever get to the Rockers, I hope I'm invited back on because I can wax lyrical all day on their matches, my favourite tag team. But I'm going with... Uh, I'm going to go with this one because it's actually more difficult when, when you think about it because he's had a lot of great moments but it might be quite difficult for two matches to be argued against each other so I'll be interested to see what you guys think the most electrifying man in all of sports entertainment Ooh. he's on my another one from my Mount Rushmore of wrestling he is the great one The Rock there we go then it's uh, The Rock is chosen by Ash Rose as the um I would say the quintessential 90s into the noughties wrestler. It's the one that uh, brings us out of the 1990s into the noughties. I think of Austin's era as realistically finishing in 99 and The Rock's taking over from 2000. Just in my brain, um, that's how I have it working. I'm sure we're going to talk about Rock Austin. I'm sure we're going to talk about Rock Jericho. I'm sure we're going to talk about Rock and lots of other opponents. John Cena, possibly. There's lots to be thinking about. Rock Hogan, goodness me. (laughs) So there's lots to be thinking about. Um, between this time uh, now and next week Paul so go away and have a think um, we will discuss this also on social media if you're listening to this and you'd like to chime in um, what's your favourite rock matches what would you suggest should we be talking about uh, as some of his best of times and worst of times um, we will put something out on Twitter and Facebook please do respond um, and we will look at some of your comments next week and discuss those as well if there's a particular match that you want us to talk about we will do so um, at your behest so that's a great choice it really is because The Rock is someone known more for their personality than necessarily their in, in-ring uh, yeah ability. that's what I thought yeah I think it's quite hard to narrow it down there are obvious ones but there are some actually early in his career as well I think we talked about these few Triple H a couple of them are very good matches but for someone who's known for more being the showman the, the sports entertainer it's it's quite a good debate I think it's a fantastic choice so we will there uh, we will do that when we reconvene on the Hooked On podcast next week. Um, Ash, it's been an absolute blast having you on. This has been so much fun talking nostalgia stuff, up-to-date stuff, uh, long chat there about Bret Hart, everything. Um, I can't believe it's taken us this long to get you on the podcast, quite frankly. I know. But, uh, I enjoyed very, it immensely. This has been so fun. Um, all the very best with um, the gorilla position. I listen Thank all the you. time. It's, it's great fun to listen to. People often think that uh, if you've got a wrestling podcast, there must be some sort of rivalry or any, any sort of thing nonsense I used to get on terrifically with Pat Lennon when I was writing for the Sun and he was writing for the Star yeah. we read each other's stuff and I love listening to your podcast as well so um, we're one big family really aren't we we really are we really are so um, make I, sure you support everything what I've got to say before we go guys is that um, when I asked Ash to be on today he did um, he did ask for one favour in return from you Rob um, what, we'd, what we'd both like you to do is I'd like you to have a word um, with you, with your mate Josh Widdicombe can that podcast great idea not original alive and kicking to this so much better can you just have a nudge and, and get him to focus elsewhere because it's, it's really cramping Ash's style 
these comedians they think they can come in on my territory <laughs> we'll get it, it was it, it's something along the lines of um was it one word kevin will he score is that what it's called, I, I, it? I can't remember what it's called Rob. no of course you can't <laughs> uh, yeah i do remember seeing that come out i um, i will say that uh, josh and i are not pals um we do happen to know one another he was a year above me at school and i've got to know him more um, recently because of our links to Plymouth Argyle but uh, no I do text him from time to time so uh, the next time I do uh, have a chat with him I will might I might say uh, you know what's going on there but uh, I've got loyalty to both of you you're both my pals so I don't want hey, to uh... there's plenty of nostalgia to go around that's, that's absolutely right and uh, I've, <laughs> I've not been on either of those shows so I'll um, Rob I'll you're more than welcome I'll keep, Rob, I'll keep my options I'm open I'm busy first <laughs> <laughs> Good one. Well, thank you, Paul, for um, for dropping me in it right at the end. I said that was <laughs> two hours plotting your revenge for, uh, for me being horrible to you last week for uh, for your hosting job. But um, thank you for that. Wasn't, wasn't Peter Shearer at Plymouth when he played his thousand game? What against Plymouth was that? If I remember right, was that uh, in the most... I think against played... Plymouth for Leighton Orient. It was for. Was it against I... Plymouth? I don't. Th- well, I didn't know it was against us. I'm fairly certain it was for Leighton Orient. He was Argyle manager and a player for. That's what uh, I'm thinking for, of. For a there couple you go. Of years. Uh, I'm. It was. I'm almost certain it was for Orient that he played his thousandth game. I don't think it was against us. I don't think so. I think the Plymouth link is is when he was manager. There's something to talk about in the nineties. Uh, I'll come and talk Shilton with you. I'll be happy to. I start in the same way that we were talking about me getting into wrestling um, around the SummerSlam '91. The first manager of Plymouth Argyle that I started to watch was was Shilton. That's the that's the team that got me into Argyle. So uh, there you go. Done and booked. Come Rob. on and talk Shilton. So I'll come and do that happily. That's it. We'll do it. Excellent stuff. Um, so on behalf of uh, Ash Rose who's been a terrific guest and uh, my pal Paul Benson uh, we encourage you to go uh, and check out Something to Wrestle With Bruce Pritchard the podcast and the live show that is coming to the UK in July but for the time being this is the Hooked On podcast and we remind you that Hooked On Wrestling say it's wrestling enjoy it we'll see you next week